Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What is up, weirdos? This is an exciting one. This is John F. O'Donnell. John F. O'Donnell. Maybe you haven't heard of him. You're about to. He has been a friend of mine in the comedy scene for a very long time, like six, seven years, and has a very, very interesting story to tell, one unlike any I think we've heard on the show so far. Some similarities to other episodes, but definitely, definitely unique. Very, definitely, definitely getting excited. All right. Uh, here are the plugs up top. First of all, we're doing You Made It Movies. The first episode is up. The price is fixed. It's now $1.99, which it always was intended to be. Apparently, if you upload something to iTunes, it just calls it $9.99 because I think that's the standard price of an album. I don't know why. We're going to try and work away around that when we do new episodes. The new episode is going to be Paul F. Tompkins and I did There Will Be Blood. It came out Amazing, exactly what I hoped for. And the first episode, the premiere episode, uh, for a reason, is John Mulaney and I watching the assassination of Jesse James uh, together. We love that movie. We love each other. Is that weird? We love each other. We love hanging out. We love watching the movie. So the idea is, uh, for those of you who don't know, you watch the movie, you sync it up so you're watching it at the same time as us, and then it's kind of like we're hanging out, doing a commentary, and you get to hear our thoughts on one of our favorite movies and one of Mulaney's favorite movies. So check it out. Search You Made It Weird on iTunes, and you will see album you you will see the album You Made It Movies. Also, YouMadeItWeird.com for all your uh, t-shirt needs made by weirdos for weirdos. Facebook.com slash YouMadeItWeird to interact with the show. Also, you can email weird at Nerdist.com. Also, we're putting together a best of. If you hear a story, an anecdote, a moment, something that was funny, something that was moving, something that touching, profound, whatever it was, if you want it to be included in the Comedy Sex God best of CD, email ComedySexGod at Gmail. Tell us the moment, tell us the time code and a description of what happened, uh, a transcription if you're nasty, and that will be great. And we will include that in the, uh, in the compilation, which is coming together nicely. Thanks entirely to the help of weirdos. Here are the tour dates. I'm leaving right now on a plane to go to Sundance for the film festival, January 18th, 10 p.m. We're going to be doing a live You Made It Weird at Sundance. Love to see some Utah weirdos out there. Uh, that's also going to be streaming live on the video podcast network, January 18th, 10 p.m., Utah Standard Time. February 1st and 2nd, I'm going back to San Francisco for Sketchfest with a live You Made It Weird on February 2nd at Cobbs in San Francisco. That's going to be a lot of fun. Going back to Madison, Wisconsin on February 21st through the 23rd with Chris Thayer. That's going to be a lot of fun. Grand Rapids, Michigan on March 9th for Gilda's Laugh Fest. That's going to be a live podcast. It's going to be awesome. Come check it out. The ad is Amazon. You know this by now. You're going to buy something on Amazon? Go to Nerdist.com. Go to You Made It Weird. Click on the banner. There's a thing that says Amazon. Shop through Amazon through the site. Prices are the same and a proceed goes to us fun, easy way to support the show. Uh, but you guys support the show in so many ways. One of them, of course, most importantly, is by listening to it. And this, I don't, I didn't plan on ending with this sincere sentiment, but thank you for listening to the show. You don't have to buy anything. It's a free show. I'm glad you're enjoying it, first and foremost. Uh, go to Amazon if, you, if, you, if you're feeling weird. Otherwise, enjoy John F. O'Donnell, everybody. I know I did. Hi, John. Look, I'm already wearing the earphones. Holy shit. Hi, buddy. Yellow and so good to see you. <laughs> I don't want to stand up. It's better this way. It's fine. This is Not fine. a short joke. Well, I, don't, uh, yeah. I just meant it. Didn't think it was until you said it. <laughs> <laughs> Please sit here. Absolutely. Oh, it's 
so good to see you, man. It's great. It's been a very, very long time. Let's oh. talk about that. Let's talk about how we know each other. Okay. Let's talk about our friendship. Okay. Let's talk about our lives. Okay. Let's talk about our losses. Okay. Let's talk about our wins. Okay. Let's talk wins. about the wind. Okay. That's my least favorite argument for God. When I was super religious, people would go, you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. That was and I was like, I might have to get off this bus. So, so you, we can talk about this. You can put you these were, on. Okay, sure. You don't, were trapped in that heaven-hell dynamic, right? Don't interview me. I'll let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll happily talk about it. Yeah, well, look, we, we, we... I know. Um, because I got trapped in that, but... Really? Yeah. Oh, only... I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. Let's save right. religion to the end. Sure. Is that Okay. Absolutely. There's Peter. no structure to the show except that I some I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I again, know why. only because you brought it up the wind thing. You know I know, I mean? no, I know, and I should honor that. I should allow. It's like it's like good stand up. Like I, I should allow God to happen at the beginning, but really. Yeah, but I know how your show God happens at the end. <laughs> yeah, sure. God happens at the end God, <laughs> in so many ways. God, you don't see the end, but you see the effects of the end. What a weird. Why do we have to say things like that? What. The wind thing. Because people desperately want to make sense out of this world. <laughs> yeah, that's And they'll right, go to ridiculous, God, ridiculous really, lengths to do it. And maybe you just surf the absurdity. Maybe the chaos is beautiful, Peter. I knew you were going to be this way, and I want you to. <laughs> what, what way? Honest and real and paying attention to the world? Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't know. I wasn't putting a judgment on no, it. No, I, I was like, I bet Johnny F.O.D., right. you, is like me in that sort of like, uh, I, I hope like me, where I'm just kind of like, uh, embracing it and, and allowing it to be silly and absurd. You know what George Harrison said, though? It was right. really interesting about religion, is that he, he started off like us, bread and butter, heaven, hell, Jesus with the robe, with the with the blue swipe, the swoosh. Sure, know, With some sure. sort of sash. Sure. He's the Lord, but he likes, you know, he's tasteful. Yeah. He's like, so, you know, mostly white, but just a little color that says, <laughs> come all ye faithful. But he evolved, you know? <laughs> he got into that Harry Christian shit, you know? Did he? Well, yeah, he wrote that song... Uh, Oh, oh I was Lord. talking about Jesus, not. <laughs> I was like, did, did he write for the Beatles, Jesus? Uh, what, but then he said that he was like in George Harrison's evolution. He went away from that, of course, uh, as you do. And then at the end, though, he said that God was kind of everything, including a man in the sky. He, uh, he I, because he was like, if that's what it is for you, then that's what it is. So he was seeing it more as the kind of collective conscious of all thoughts is God. Meaning, yeah, I guess if that's if that's the way you want to think about it, he, George Harrison got to the point where he didn't even judge that. He was like, if that's what you think God is, then good. I'm glad you're getting some of his uh, or what some of it. That's in your interesting, life. but I think I judge it. I don't, yeah, I, I guess I would judge that because too. I think it's divisive. I think it makes people feel like they're right and other people are wrong compared to there being this kind of understanding of a connectivity of life, which I think I have tapped into. But then the irony of that is the times that I felt the most tapped into that is when doctors are like, "You are manic right now. Yeah, you yeah, are yeah. sick." You yeah. Know? So it's a weird thing, and I've totally accepted that and reconciled that somehow. But it has fucked up with my uh, my entire sense of spirituality. Well, I'd like know? to start with um, how we know each other, but because it came up organically. I didn't. I heard a rumor that when you've had episodes, and and uh, I want to be delicate when we talk about. And this. I want you not to be delicate at all. Okay, because no, I, <laughs> I am a hundred percent comfortable in okay, talking good. about every aspect of my life. The truth you know? of me not wanting. I, I, of course, I want you to be comfortable and stuff. Yeah. And I also don't want to sound like an asshole. But we're chums, and uh, yeah. you've had some mental flare-ups. Yeah, yeah, I'm manic depressive, like clinically. Is like, that what it real. is? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't know that that, that it was. That's what uh, yeah. the, the flavor yeah. of it yeah. was. But I have a kind of interesting 
take on it because I'm also a comedian. I've talked about it so much publicly and stuff like that. Yeah. That uh, it's interesting. It's crazy. It's like being able to talk about being manic and not it being this sort of like death sentence and not feeling like people have to walk on eggshells around me, not feeling like a pitiable person. Yes, has been great for me. Like stand up is such a great thing that I can like when I dipped out of the scene when things went really gnarly in 2008. I came back and I immediately addressed everything on stage, and yes. that allowed me to get through everything and really kind of rebuild things back up and stuff like that. And I've gotten so many emails and messages from people who've experienced something similar or family. Members members and stuff like that mm-hmm. that are very happy for somebody talking about it publicly and that was a very humbling situation that's wonderful that yeah. reminds me i know they're very different uh, diseases uh but uh jonathan katz had a similar thing with ms when he, he you know speaking about it publicly and not being um i don't know i'm not Just defeated character yeah you know? yeah being like i have it but you know it doesn't have me sort of thing absolutely and yeah it's okay. an aspect of who i am it's not going to define me completely you know what's i'm weird? not going to be this pitiable character but thank goodness i have this creative outlet yes because i couldn't imagine not being artistic and having I think about that all the time that. i you know i, I manic is kind of like one of those things like ocd that a, a lot of people self-diagnose and it's funny that uh, i didn't know that you were manic depressive i didn't know that like i said was the label but uh, just today, I was like, I'm a very manic person. People do that a lot. They're like, oh, I have OCD or I have ADD. Like, these are the self-diagnosed things. Sure. And I'm manic. Meaning that there's times when I feel very close to that clean, burning, white light sort of everything makes sense. I'm sure I, – I, I'm guessing it's not as intense as what uh, you've gone through. Possibly but then, not. Possibly not. <laughs> Probably not. I, I guess. That's, it's honestly just a guess. Who knows? Who knows? Sure, Maybe, sure. Maybe you have a better, better capacity yeah. to deal with yeah. coincidences <laughs> just like, like that. It's like being really high and I'm like, I'm like chill. Yeah. I'm like, Can yeah, I, t- can I okay. tell you something yeah. that really freaked me out a few weeks ago? Please. You're my guest. I was, I was listening to your episode with my dear friend Sean Patton, right? Sean Patton. And you guys were talking about <laughs> coincidences and stuff like that, right? Funny this thing. is what's crazy. This is what was really crazy and freaked me out. Mm. Like I was, obs- I'm obsessed with synchronicity. It's this thing that Carl Gustav Jung is about. They're basically coincidences, but they're more meaning based than action based. So they're very personal to you. But when you say them out loud, they don't really hold water for other people. Interesting. But you want to say them out loud because they're the most miraculous things. ever. But it's one of those things that as soon as you start to articulate it, it loses its. its it, yeah. It doesn't hold water as you exactly. Said. That's interesting. Exactly. I, I'm already. That to me is what spirituality is. If I, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, I no. This is good. Stay this is engaged. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that you're going to have some really interesting thoughts so i'm is that, I'm, a, is that a source of concern because i want to keep up with you oh peter I, come well, on you're a very very smart well man. john yeah. i appreciate that i just i believe that you have something to to tell us and to tell me and i want to stay so the when i'm interrupting it's because i want to stay totally. right there with you can i say how excited i am to be here yeah, and so to get to you, you know that. be exposed to the weirdos of course you know what yeah, I mean? please it's um I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. So what, that's how I feel about spirituality, and, that, and that's a that's a, a, a Joseph Campbell thing where he's like sure. myth and these stories help us articulate things that you can't explain. Oh, isn't that stuff amazing? So you have the the different types of thoughts, and there's the deep kind of thoughts that as soon as you articulate them, even to yourself, they they evaporate. You're like. But that's that's why I get tingles. That's why I get uh, in touch with stuff. That's just why I'll always be, for better or worse, the the John Locke on the Lost Island. You know what I mean? I'm I'm going to be Locke and not the Doctor. I'm going to be the guy that's like, this has meaning. This is something because I'm always feeling connected to something that I think you're talking about the deep back sort of stuff. But t- tell me about the syn- synchronicities. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I guess what that just made me. Th- I, I think conversationally we should just go where we go. And what you said right there made me think of something else. Okay, I'll write down synchronicities. <laughs> okay. That's cool. why I have this paper. Cool, cool. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how to spell well, it. Well, basically, at, one, at some point, 
It's with a Y. <laughs> I just row synchro crispities. That's what I'll write. Oh, there you go. There T- you go. I, oh, oh, my God. You should keep this paper. Anyway, okay. At some point, we'll get into what that made me think of was how I felt the first time I, I kind of like had this moment, this sort of manic epiphany when I was in college, like well over 10 years ago when I felt it was like early in college when I felt like I did tap into that oneness of life, but I didn't have a structure to understand it. I only had this monotheistic kind of mm-hmm. vision of the world. So because of all of that energy, it made my ego go out of control and I felt like the center of the universe and it created this messianic situation. Mm-hmm. But we'll maybe get to that. We I, No, that's on the paper. I wrote down JC. <laughs> did he really? I wrote down JC because you did have a messianic episode. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm just – okay, I'm going to stop expressing my concerns because I want to hear about it. But like it it, it sounds understandable because here's how I can relate to what you just said. Because I'm so super sweet. Uh, You're the dopest. (laughs) The podcast is over. You're the dopest. Well, I mean – and I want to be careful here – you know, it's just like when I've taken mushrooms, for example, I will feel that sort of thing. So here you are having that sort of experience sober, uh, but it, it's an extension of a mental w- a disorder, I guess, right? I guess. I'm fine. See, that's with, what I don't know what this to is call what it. Is. it. This is what it is. I am so fine with uh, the word disorder. I'm so fine with accepting that I've dealt with intermittent mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. But then the flip side of that coin is what if there's this evol- – and this is obviously a more gratifying way to put it. But what if we're all experiencing this weird evolution of consciousness? Like Nietzsche said, our newest attribute is consciousness. It's still imperfect. Thus, it can still hurt us. He said that in the 1890s. <laughs> Right? So maybe we're all at these different levels, and now because it's this information age, this inundation of data, that right. we're all, in weird ways, are kind of reaching this next evolution, and maybe that evolution is realizing that there is a connectivity of right. life, and that your happiness, whether you like it or not, is connected with the happiness of people in other places Here, on some higher yeah. psychic level. I love you know? it. And maybe evolution like mutation is not fucking simple. It's not easy. It's jagged, and it's raw, and it's chaotic, and maybe some of us are flipping the fuck out, and that's why a lot of people are dealing with mental illness or right. mental health issues. Right. But right. I think right. calling it chronic mental illness con- compared to saying, like, okay, you know, you're not mentally healthy relative to the social structures you're in is kind of a better way to say it compared to saying, chronic mental illness right. you're gonna die alone right, right, right. you know really interesting and really uh again I, I must be nervous about this episode i'm really i want to be careful here's two things i want to be careful i don't want to encourage it if it's destructive to you see that's impossible but, uh but it, that's impossible okay. there's literally that's one thing that that's a preconception that needs to be let, let well, go hit me there's no way i can have a conversation with somebody and i'm gonna leave and be like mm, goofy grapes right, like, right that right. can't happen goofy peter. grapes <laughs> peter <laughs> i do call you peter i've known you for so no. long I know. I like Peter. I fucking love you, it's man. My name. I love you too. We were in the trenches. I know. We'll, I, I'm, we're not going to forget that. I wrote CNYC, JC. It's all things synchronous, <laughs> crispities. Here's two things that I'm going to put to you. Okay. One, my therapist, Dr. Gary Penn, whose book is available now. <laughs> he, ne- he never asked me to do that. I think Amazing. it's. I just love him so much. He he's helped me a lot. Uh, pointed out that paranoia. Par- I'm talking about something else. Paranoia. Is uh, is kind of indefensible. If you say uh, a satellite could fall on me, or here in uh, here in Los Angeles, an earthquake could come and, and kill us both right now, or an aneurysm, or um, maybe the police are after me. Like uh, I, I have a feeling that they're they're listening to this podcast and I'm saying these iconoclastic things. I have a feeling they're tapping me and they're following me. And there's reason. And you can build up this case. And he's like, you can't argue with that. You know what I mean? So you have to like. What I'm saying is, from you. 
you're having this happen, maybe it requires somebody from the outside, or certainly our society would say, it requires someone from the outside to be like, look, you're too into this. So like paranoia, manic state might require another human. I'm also wary of that human's diagnosis of you, because I I think it is kind of interesting to think, what if you are having some sort of thing we should listen to? Well, Uh, that's the thing. I I don't know. I don't, yeah, no, I, I don't feel... But the paranoia seems real to you. And the totally. manic episode, because you're having it, feels like I can't even imagine the most clean-burning drug imaginable that you're like, I get it. It's crazy. It's yes. crazy because you also have this weight-of-the-world aspect on your shoulders where you feel like either a heaven-on-earth scenario or a hell-on-earth scenario is about to occur. Hmm. And you have the answers, and everybody better listen. And if you have any semblance of decency as a human being, you're going to try your best to create that heaven-on-earth situation. The best way that I can describe mania is being misguided, frustrated idealism. Because Hmm. it comes out of, for me at least, it comes out of a place of wanting to create a more humanistic, unified world Mm -hmm. and you know, dealing with the frustrations of reality, but then just kind of losing, you know, kind of really losing the plot a little bit. And then I don't know if that didn't even make sense, not losing the plot, but I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know. No, I, I, I was following that. It, it's basically, I think it, it's basically, I don't know. It's basically you really think that it's up to you to save the fucking world. Okay. But do you, uh, can we maybe, it comes out of a place of love is what I am trying to say. And I, I understand all of that. See, now that makes perfect sense to you. And now here I am on the outside being the person who doesn't have manic episodes, trying to understand that. And on one hand, I'm like, what if, cause if Jesus were here, Jesus was like basically a homeless lunatic kind of person. That's what some people thought he was. Totally. I mean, there's such a case to say that he was maybe experiencing, he was on mushrooms or something like that. He was right. experiencing some sort of mania. Basically. Well, he would, today he would seem crazy. Oh, absolutely. Course. And all of the people Possessionless. that, and so many of the people <laughs> that worship him, the relatives of the way that he looks, they'd never even say hello to him. You know right. Of mean? course. So there you go. So here, here I'm trying to be uh, understanding of the idea that there might be uh, a lot of truth to what you're saying. Cause a lot of the things you're saying are the sorts of things I'm I'm kind of into and then on the other hand I'm wondering what you think that you do need somebody from the outside and say like this is a misfiring of your brain the other example I was going to say I was going to throw two things at you one is paranoid people can't be convinced that uh, that they're being unreasonable because they're kind of right you know what I mean but it's still hurting them and hurting their life and others the other thing is the first time I was on weed smoke and I was paranoid what I didn't, what, what I didn't know, and I think I've said this on the show before, but I didn't know. See how quick I am at saying that now? I just say it as one word. I think I've said this on the show before, but I, <laughs> I smoked weed smoke, and then I was walking around. And Peter I, calls it weed smoke, and I got, yeah. and I got, I got, I got paranoid, right? Sure. So another paranoid story. But the thing is, is I'm a rational human. I'm a rational human man for the most part, and I go, oh, uh, marijuana makes you paranoid. I'm aware. See, of that. that's what trouble for me is. But, I think, but. Oh, God. Go for it. I just, this is the punchline, and then I'm, it's all you. But I, even in knowing that it made me paranoid, didn't make the paranoia go away. I was like, no, these people are staring at me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I couldn't get yeah. out of it. I couldn't get my way. So I was stuck. Again, two drug experiences to try and relate to this, but now you go. Beautiful. Okay, so even the awareness of being on a drug couldn't let you let go of the paranoia. Mm-hmm. That reminds Still me. Still felt real. Still felt like I was right and they were wrong. It's like, you think I'm paranoid because I'm on this drug, but no, those people are looking at me and laughing. They're laughing at me, but really they aren't. Yeah. Or maybe they are. Yeah. But either way, I can't tell. Can't I was in Union it. Square and I was like, that motherfucker's staring oh, at God, me and he wrote something in his journal. Bad place to be on the weed. See, smoke. one thing that's been tragic for me with drugs is, and I haven't 
you know, I, I can't do them. Is that, uh, is that <laughs> society won't let me, but, uh, I can't, like, if I smoke weed, the Earth's axis falls off of its fucking side. Well, know? I believe that, you know, there was a time when you, when I was very, uh, not very, I was mildly concerned for you. I had been hearing these reports of the messianic episodes, and you were talking about them on stage as well. Um, and then someone told me that you were smoking, you never smoked pot, and then you went to smoking pot a lot. Well, it's really weird. It's like, I don't even necessarily, like smoking pot when I'm not in a manic state because I always get that paranoia incredibly so a mm. debilitating point mm-hmm. and I can never even remember that I'm on the drug Interesting. I, I can't ever I don't I don't have that that narrative distance to you're realize. in the moment your so, needle is on the record my needle is on that fucking record <laughs> and, uh, I can't I can't remember it for a single moment and then I I'm mean, part of this has to be the really really Part of this has to be the really, really intense experiences I had with LSD in high school mm-hmm. that were really rough. Because at the same time, while I was experimenting with LSD, being around shitty people like these fashion hippie wasps, fashion hippie wasps. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what a fashion hippie is. It's somebody. My perspective on it is somebody who wears. Oh God! Like I, a, I wish I had asked you because this is interesting. A yes. Grateful Dead T-shirt with a J. Crew roll neck sweater on top of it. Oh, you funny. know what I mean? And Very then like a, a hat from some obscure, obscure kind of liberal arts school in Pennsylvania. Uh, I was picturing a fedora from a thrift wear shop. Wear Birkenstocks. <laughs> But yeah. they're just really hateful people, yeah. you know? Fashion hippie. And it's not about smoking. Where meat. are we? This is in Jersey, suburbs Jersey. of Jersey. Yeah. And we're not talking about, like, people who, let's smoke and explore our minds. This is like, I can smoke so much. Why can't you smoke as much as I can smoke? Like, that's really? what it's all about. Hmm. And it's just, it's just a whole idea. of like, oh, somebody's a little bit paranoid. Let's fuck with them until they're fucking quivering in a corner. So Did I had- that happened to you? Oh, well, well, I basically, the first time that I did acid was at a fish show in Madison Square we? Garden, 17. Uh-huh. Uh, now, were you having manic... Uh, I'm not trying no, to tie no, it the to first, LSD. No, but... I think it is connected in a way. The first manic episode I had was my sophomore year of college. So, okay, so... And again, I'm not trying to villainize acid, uh, but it's interesting that here you are at 17, your brain isn't fully formed, and you're taking acid. Totally. That doesn't happen to everybody, and I, I'm not even suggesting that, but yeah. I guess maybe I'm interested in that. Yeah. So you took it, and then what happened? Please, you're yeah. at a fish concert. Sure. Already kind of traumatic. Yeah, totally traumatic. And <laughs> if anybody knows, if you want to go see fish, go to Madison Square Garden. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's where you want to be, with totally. nature. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally immersed in nature, exactly. Fuck. That sounds horrible. Dude, like last year, I was just happened to be walking around near MSG when a fish concert let out mm-hmm. and everybody was just doing nitrous balloons on the street really? these humongous nitrous balloons and I was like what is wrong with you and I looked at people and I was like these are the same people I went to fucking high school with uh-huh. and now they're in their 30s and they still do this shit yeah. it was crazy oh, like, wow. I wonder how fish fans about fish feels about being can be an interesting band that has some of the shittiest people for fans on the fucking planet you know that's crossed my mind with uh, with Dave Matthews too like I, oh, I, I used to love Dave Matthews like we all did until we all got the letter that was like we're not doing that anymore <laughs> yeah. it's like oh okay Dude, I did this interview months ago I was like I like Dave Matthews again fuck you guys that's it's okay very funny it should be allowed I don't know why I've never done such a one Eighty on a band before. I, I was like no, the way he plays, and then I'm like, "Fuck him! He no, looks like Tom weird. Hanks." Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> well, I think it's because everything he made after they made some stuff was so derivative. I think that's what it was. Yeah, maybe it wasn't that growth as an artist necessarily. You know, well, they what started, were we talking about right before that? We're talking about LSD. Oh yeah, okay. And and but but I'm sure Dave Matthews goes backstage and is like, "I love him, but there's some fucked up fans." <laughs> I don't know yeah. why he talks like Harry Carey. I met uh, <laughs> I met the uh, violin player. Uh-huh. at the U.S. Open randomly. Were you both in line for soup? <laughs> he looks like a man that would be in line for soup. <laughs> <laughs> he 
He was so nice. It was cool. Really? Super nice. Yeah. Soup, soup or nice? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Look at that. Coincidence. Ooh. And then we just turned into pure energy. So you took acid. <laughs> I know. I knew you'd be right up my alley. Let's go in the weird alley. Oh, it's so good to see you, I Pete. know. It's great to see you. I, see, what's so funny is my threshold for weirdness is yeah. so far gone. I know. There's well, that's why, weird. you know, like like the Duncan Trussells before you, I would like to almost I would almost like to make this a safe place for you to share your ideas and just be like, what What if we give you green lights and, and say that, uh, that maybe you have something to say? Wouldn't that be more interesting than me being like, sounds like you need uh, medication? That sounds delightful. And I'm, you are on medication. I am. And I'm, I'm glad it's helping it. you live your life. Yeah, Let's exactly. It's part of the picture. Yes. People that think it's a panacea is ridiculous. There's so many things I have in place in order to... What's panacea? Is that when all the medicines were one thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's a pangea joke. It's a pangea. No, but it's similar. A panacea means one thing that just fixes everything. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it must be the root of the word pan. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I cook with pans. <laughs> okay, uh, keep going. Okay, so I wrote down LSD, but so what I were you think saying? that the oh, medication of, is okay. Sure, I think that part of the reason that the acid fucked me up was because at the same time I was being proselytized by an evangelist Catholic in public school. Like I was getting, I was taking Latin class with this guy named Doctor Bond, which I love the linguistic Whoa. fucking parallel of. He's that. the teacher. He's the teacher, and I was in a public school, mm-hmm. but I was taking Spanish, and then at my other elective, I decided to take Latin. Like, I so desperately wish I took woodshop, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, I took Latin for four years, and he was he was this teacher in this public school, but he was proselytizing us and convincing us that if we didn't live our life in a certain way, we'd burn in hell. And he was using tricky linguistic arguments like saying... Uh, well, if you say there's no such thing as objective truth, you're presenting an objective truth and you're contradicting yourself. Thus, there must be objective truth. The Catholic Church claims that they're the one true religion. And then he was also using like Plato and Socrates and the allegory of the cave and how if you're living your life, how that's about how you're like people think they're living their lives in the right way, but they're really just staring at shadows. Mm-hmm. And he really somehow, even at 13, 14, 15 years old, 16, whatever, he was able to, and just and not many people took this Latin class, but he was able to really instill <laughs> this fucking hellfire fear, and I had that in just my was fucking yes, heart. Yes, yes, yes. No, you can go for it. Just the idea that it was just you and like one other, <laughs> like a sea captain. Hurry, I'll be making a good point. And you're like, why am I in this class? By Latin four senior year, there were like five of us in the class. Oh. I think one of the guys became a priest for real. Uh. Yeah, this guy was a mind fucker. This but is this. He homeschooled all of his kids. I, wouldn't I think you from say that that's a type of child abuse? It sounds like it's, it's child abuse. Absolutely. Yeah. The psychological trauma and pain it's that huge. that the psychological trauma and pain that caused me to be scared to death if I didn't live my certain way, I was yeah. going to burn forever. Yeah. And and it gave me empathy for people who are children who are inundated that from way worse. Yes. From their fucking youth. You're, you know. Remember being young, gullible was such a big thing. The kids that are a little bit older than you would tell. Tell you something and you would believe them because at a certain age and for a long period, you just listen to other people. You listen to grown-ups. You know what I mean? And you're already prone to imaginary friends, fantastical things. You're going to believe in Santa. You're going to believe in pixies and dwarves. Zombies might be real. You, how, you're like a two-minute conversation from convincing an eight-year-old that zombies are real. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, like No one will tell you this, but it is one day a year. 
It's why they're always like, go to bed early on Christmas Eve, because that's when the zombies come Yeah, out. exactly. But they just built this holiday to make sure you're inside. And they're in. You're in. And, and in. then the kid would be like, oh. <gasps> and it's at that age, gullibility and mysticism and, and playful kind of like, uh, you know, just gullibility. Fucking gets his grips into you. It and takes hold. So there you are. And in that fragile time, we have people coming in, grown people now, not Billy the bully, but some fucking Dr. Bond motherfucker, cocksucker, telling you. <laughs> In a sweater that you can't fathom someone electing to wear a sweater. You're like, I'm forced <laughs> Yo, to wear sweaters. Yeah, he wore sweaters all the time. He wore sweaters, he wore sweaters yeah. all the time. Of course like he white did. Ones and stuff <laughs> That's very funny. Stuff. Of course. Oh, and then he teaches you that if you continue the seven deadly sins being uh, the seven things you must be doing. Yeah. Greed, sloth, envy, lust. Though that, That's like a, a – that's a day's grocery list of what you're going to do. Yeah. If you follow your instincts, yeah. so you you need it. You're already failed. You're you're born sinful, and then and then he makes an urgency that you're going to burn, and and that sounds to me like that's what I'm thinking is a little bit abusive. Is abusive, totally abusive. I think it's I think it's terrible. But you know, that being said, you know, from his perspective, he's just living out his you know unevolved worldview. That's what right. he's doing. He thinks he's doing the Lord's work. He thinks right. he has gotten into this public school of sin and demise and he is you know going to save as many souls as he can right, you know? right, right, right. but it's really ass backwards and the, and the trauma and pain that it caused me and then after I dropped acid it was such a terrible experience <laughs> because I was I was inundated with that and then I'm, I'm at this fish concert and I don't start tripping until we're driving home and I was with people who really were not particularly good friends with me and I was freaking out isn't and that every bad terrible, trip starts terrible. with? I re- the first thing like I realized asshole, was I don't know these fucking people. Robin Disvonic, wherever you are, you know. Uh. But then that being said, he had problems because he watched his fucking father die. You know what I mean? Like mm. his father basically had a heart attack and died in his arms as a kid. So he's all fucked up, and he's a fucking monster. <laughs> and I'm like flipping out and thinking that I'm seeing like devil imagery and thinking that people are morphing into demons. And then instead of him comforting me, he's like, "I am the devil. I'm a demon." Grr. So you. I'll- you know? Opened up to Robin Desmond. Well, he could just see, like I, you know, I guess he could just tell, or I kind of said something, yeah. you know, and then they just fuck with me, really bad. Uh-huh. But uh, and that happened a couple times, yeah, different times. But because uh, so tr- I was always t- really upset yeah. that I just couldn't just do drugs and enjoy it like everybody else. Like, why did it have to be this fucking traumatic worldly experience, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, but anyway, those two things came together, and then after that, I felt like I lost my soul. For my junior, I felt like, and just in the back of my mind, I was like, "Oh, I fucked up. I lost my soul. I don't have a soul now." You felt like you didn't have a soul anymore. I, that's what I guess. That's how I felt and what I believed. And I was seventeen years old, you know. And then, then what was it? You do you remember when you woke up one day and you were just like, "I feel empty." Well, I think another one is that another kid was fucking with me a different time. I was doing acid, and he said that he's going to steal my soul. So you how a- fucked up is that to be on an intense drug like that yeah. and have people do that? That's like. Abusive, right? You're de- oh, yeah. You're the victim <laughs> of some fucked up shit. And yeah. what's weird is you uh, elected to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, unfortunately, these... these well, ab- you're in high school. You're so dumb. I know. You, you didn't... Know. Know. It's not your fault. I'm not saying that. But sure. you, you were doing this recreational thing that was supposed to be fun. And then these people really took advantage of you. Totally. And that sounds horrible. But let me tell you this. This is what's interesting about this mania thing. 
is my my sophomore year of college when I had this epiphanal moment, at least that's what it felt like, when I felt like I was tapping into this oneness of life. I remember I was walking around. I was at the University of Michigan in college. I was walking around the kind of quad, like this kind of area near where student buildings are, and I had this weird epiphany, and I kind of felt this sensation. I remember seeing dove imagery. I swear to goodness. And Wait, then, you, so you're sober and you're seeing yeah, doves. Yeah. yeah, I saw this dove imagery, this something. That's and, a thing, dove imagery? Well, I, I don't know, because it wasn't like doves flying, but it just felt like I saw a dove or something. Like okay. That. It just sounds weird. It's almost embarrassing to talk about, but I don't give a fuck. But anyway, so... Well, they say the Holy Spirit descended on Christ like a dove after his baptism. That's interesting. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get to that JC thing you wrote down. I wrote down but, soul. Uh, so then, <laughs> this is awesome. I got to keep this. My, my notes are LSD, soul. Keep going. <laughs> this is synchronicity, LSD, soul, JC. Synchrocrispity. Synchrocrispity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, going. my God. Keep it synchrocrispity. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, we have to end That's now. a t-shirt that I'll wear. <laughs> and I'll make Pete wear. <laughs> that asshole that everything is like, that's a t-shirt. <laughs> Shut up, that's a t-shirt, Teddy. Okay, anyway, so... You then, had this epiphany. Yeah, I one had this epiphany, dove. and then I tapped into the oneness mm-hmm. of life, and then and then it eventually spun me into a hypomanic state, which is what happens before you're manic, which can actually be very advantageous because your intuition shoots up, your your instincts are super sharp, you have you have you're very charismatic, you have all this sexual energy. Like mm-hmm. I've never fucked as well as when I've been manic. Like it's like some Tyler Durden type shit, mm-hmm. and it's so crazy that it transcends into the physical realm. Hmm. It's awesome to say that and have people like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh, but the truth no. is about it is that after I became manic when I got manic that fear that terrible fear of of lostness of of having lost my soul and everything like that that went away i got i felt whole again hmm. you know when i when i became manic and then after it and mm-hmm. i and i felt I, I and i've i i felt better i know that i know for a fact all of the traumatic terrible shit i've been through all the depressions that have followed the mania no sense of loss felt as scary as that one when i was 17 and i got it back and I, and I don't feel that sense of loss of having lost my my soul, whatever See, the fuck that means, this since thing, that manic episode. That sounds like a Bible story. That's Paul on the ro- Saul on the road to Damascus. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like yeah. you felt like you didn't have your soul, and you're depressed. Yeah. And then you have this like spontaneous enlightenment. What you're talking about sounds like enlightenment. You know what I mean? Totally. And it must it felt feel like, a like enlightenment. It felt, it yeah. felt like a fucking moment of enlightenment for because sure. Because your anxiety goes away. You're, you're, you're tapped you're, in and connected with the oneness of life. Your ego's gone. There's yeah. no John F. O'Donnell. You're, you just become like a prophet. And of course you're fucking. Your dick is like a fucking yeah, <laughs> your temple. Dick, yeah. <laughs> Like you got, I this you got that temple dick. Like when I was manic in 2008, I thought that my my penis had this like Jesus healing powers. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I could just heal women of all of their insecurities. Do you have leprosy in your vagina? Because <laughs> I'd like you to meet a prophet. Dude, I said this thing. Yeah. Like I made love to this woman who I met. She was like crying outside a bar because she just broke up with somebody. <laughs> and, and I talked to her and everything. And then we ended up, I was in Long Island City, Queens. We ended up going down by the water, by the East River. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was as the sun was coming up. And it was this beautiful panoramic view of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And I was just making love to her doggy style as the sun was coming up. <laughs> you can't make love it, to someone I know, that's doggy style. such a style. great turn of phrase. And it felt like with every thrust, we were creating a sustainable alternative energy resource to fossil fuels, you know? And if you don't fuck like that, then you're not doing it right. John, you should get an acoustic guitar and a robe and we start a cult today. You are a- I could, at times I could have started cults without fucking question. But that that's what's interesting is that you are uh this ve- okay, this actually goes nicely into we're not going to forget any of that. How we met is is we're at the Boston Comedy Club and we used to bark meaning hand out flyers. Isn't that amazing? And you just like this manic dick prophet. <laughs> 
making a sustainable energy <laughs> source profit. with your doggy style lovemaking. <laughs> Not, I don't even know how you say that you're make doing it from behind. <laughs> Do you want to make love doggy style? <laughs> That's perfect. It's so That's funny. Perfect. It's uh, it's the you entire. Know what it, does? it takes a judgment off. Of, oh, doggy style is dirty. Yeah. Well, so I'm gonna make love to you, doggies. <laughs> right. It's totally ridiculous. It's a totally ridiculous. Not work outside. You were outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, here's what that reminds me of. You convincing or, or being persuasive and talking to this woman outside a bar and having a, a, cer- a certain energy that people kind of respond to and, and could also be off put by. I used to see that too. When you would, <laughs> totally. when you would bark, would have these flyers and you could get 20 people in the room faster than anybody. I'm, and I that actually became barker. it became a problem because you were like, I don't want to be known as a barker. People would book yeah. you on shows because they'd be like, Will you bark? And I was good at it. Yeah. You were very good at it. You used to walk. My technique was I go great live comedy show tonight, and I just take the flyer out. My only move was that I would whip the flyer out, <laughs> and then I'd put it back in the pile so I could do the whip again. <laughs> That's all I had. That was my, and I had earphones in, and I wasn't, yeah. you know, I was just trying yeah. to get it done. Um, totally, you because you know why? Because I wasn't proud of the show we were doing. That was a rough time. I dude. hated the show. That was a rough time. It was know? a rough time. You, uh, although you put yourself completely into it, very kind of Buddhist, you are the task. You know what I mean? You're like, I'm sweeping this floor, and that's what the universe is right now. You would walk backwards completely shamelessly. So people are walking on the street, and you'd walk with them, facing them. So you're walking backwards, and explain, like like I've never seen before. You're like, what are you doing tonight? What are you going to do? Are you going to go eat Thai food? Just another night where you eat Thai food. You might see a comedy show where it's great. You don't know who's going to yeah, come in. There's comedians from VH1, MTV, Dave, Comedy Central. Dave here. Chappelle dropped in two weeks ago. You got to come in. It's five dollars yeah. with this coupon. Yeah. People Why don't you just would come check go it out. Just in, check it out. Yeah. and then they'd be the only two people in there. And before they could even realize what had happened, you'd bring four more people in, and then eight people in, and then would have a show, yeah. and that existed. Yeah. So you were this really weird, uh, weird guy floating. You had braces at the time. <laughs> Your hair was more like it is now. Your little Matt Damon. Remember, I used to think you were like little Matt Damon. Yeah, and then really I'm sorry to call you little. I don't even, give a fuck. Okay, dude. I don't I, I, give I, I, a fuck. You know what I mean? Okay, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then that's how we met. We used to do those shows barking together. Anyway, it just reminded me you have just an awesome personality. You do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, and you are persuasive, and it, it, it's it, it's interesting to me that this dysfunction so closely, in my opinion, parallels what in yesteryear, this was 2,000 years ago, we'd write it down on parchment. would be like John F. O'Donnell did lose his vision soul. Or something. He had a vision and no. thought his soul was gone. And his, this other guy, son of some other guy, said he was going to steal his soul. And then he did. And then he went, went around and was depressed and low. And yeah. his face was falling. That's really interesting. And then one yeah. day you're walking on, in nature on the quad – you know what I mean? In Michigan, you know, all this thing. And you see a dove, very classic, like I said, yeah. Christ seeing the dove, yeah. descending like a dove, all that sort of stuff. You see a dove, and then God breathes his soul back into you. And then you go out and prophesy <laughs> in the manner, I know, Holy shit. in the manner that you didn't go around <laughs> quoting Bible verses, but you're finding crying women and then ministering to them with your dick. <laughs> you, Heal, healing for what all it ails you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Parting the red legs. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Uh, but yeah, all those sex jokes aside. But like that to me can be a parable or can be a story or something like that. Yeah. And it makes me wonder like, you know, OK, so it, it doesn't make you wonder. It makes you totally understand that the structures of Christianity 
are a little bit ridiculous and they've been taken literally and stuff like that. But and that really the same is. themes yeah. are happening again and again and again and it's part of our psychological makeup. It's in us. It's in us. I've, I've said and that. to acknowledge yeah. that is okay. It's okay. You know, I don't want to rail against religion. I don't want to make people be like, oh, you're stupid for believing this. I want them to feel okay. I feel terrible for people that are trapped in the heaven-hell dynamic This for this wonderful fucking ride of a life. They're trapped in that mm-hmm. and it's dictating all all of their actions in their fucking life mm-hmm. it's so sad yeah it's so sad it's so pitiable i just want to hug them and be yeah. like listen you can make love doggy style you're not gonna burn in hell you <laughs> or know? or you can you know what i mean yes uh you can wake up to your this is what's weird is we talk about to waking up to your own divinity a lot something that i would say uh fucking russell simmons had a tweet today god and someone tweeted at me lovely weirdo and was like this sounds like something pete would like and he said think of god as the ocean and you're a cup of god you're just like a cup and God's the ocean sort of thing. And, it, and that, that's an old idea. Uh, Christ waking up to his own divinity. Buddha waking up to his own divinity and all that. Becoming enlightened. Becoming immortal. All that sort of – or not even immortal. Less concern on that. Uh, so you having these awakening feelings are interesting to me. I kind of lost my thought. What was I saying? I didn't know what I meant by that. It doesn't matter. It's all good. It's all good. I think we're doing great. Yeah. But that idea – so, okay, you thought you – you that's the rumor that I was going to start. I, but it sounds like it's true. You did think that you were Jesus at some point. Or should we go chronologically? You're in college, junior, manic. Uh, yeah, we could just talk, you know. Okay. Um, Here's something else I want to ask you. We won't forget the Jesus thing. I remembered what I wanted to ask you. It's sure. interesting to me that um, I have what I would consider a, a manic episode. Uh, they're, they're not always random. Sometimes they are. When I go home for the holidays uh, and when I'm home, I feel like a child. I feel like I'm papoosed again and I'm just like limited. I'm not a man anymore. I'm getting better, but I feel more like a child. So then when I, I uh, if I stay too long, if I'm home for like five days, six days, it's too long. When I get to the airport, I always have this in- unbelievable release where I'm flying back to my home, my apartment, my clothes, and I don't mean like I'm proud of my clothes. I'm just like this is where I keep my life, my car, my refrigerator, my choices. All my power is back. All my life is back. All my control is back. I will have what I consider for me a – for lack of a better term, manic episode. I'll tweet 50,000 jokes because I'm leaving this stressful place and I'm going back to my life and my brain will just be white light. Wow. Okay. And, and so I'm wondering – uh, do you feel like these these manic places have to be like heightened creative places? Heightened. They can and can they can and can't be. Yes. This is how it is. Sometimes, yes, I'll have these really really interesting sets. I'll be coming up with a gazillion ideas and stuff like that. Like I actually very recently had, and what's crazy now is I've had a very minor manic episode recently and mm-hmm. the fact that i'm recovering so quickly from them is pretty miraculous mm-hmm. like i and i was i was in the hospital actually from december 24th till new year's eve whoa yeah and well, I, that, that's a minor episode that because it well basically relative to 2008 i was manic for like nine months and i was in jail in dublin and shit like that i know that's where i want you and to then, tell that and story. then i was back in in the states and i was in new york and then i was in a hospital from like mid-november till mid-january and then i was equally as depressed into 2009 until like the fall of 2009 and then you know i've just clawed my way back over the years what was it what was the most recent one but this most recent one 
Uh, basically, what I was the reason that I brought it up is because, and what's so interesting to me is it's almost like old hat. Like I'm not, like I'm not, swe- I'm not stressed about it at all. Like I got out of the hospital and then did huge shows in New York and LA within the next week. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I felt fine. I still feel fine. I feel great. But the thing is, into an appropriate manner, but <laughs> an appropriate level. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah if you yeah. start telling me you feel too great, yeah. it's like call the police. That's what's. Cra- <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's fucking crazy. It's crazy. I have to be like, I yeah. feel like myself. Or Stop listening to Beautiful Day by YouTube, uh, or I'm uh, making uh, a phone call. <laughs> that's crazy there's certain songs resonate with you and yeah. stuff like that and then it's kind of embarrassing you know uh, what I mean but like that... you were talking about it affecting your creativity okay yeah 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 okay so but anyway I I was getting before the 24th I was like kind of on a little hypomanic upswing before and basically they, we caught it very early just got me to the hospital for a couple of days just to tweak my medication something like that just to chill got out and then just kind of moved forward with everything with all these big shows I've had to do and all these things mm-hmm. that are going on right mm-hmm. but uh so so anyway though I did a set on December 20th at Cabin and it was a really interesting set. I felt really free and it really connected. And I was talking about synchronicity. I was talking about slipping in and out of my objective mind into my subjective mind. You know what I mean? I was I was talking about this Leonard Cohen concert I went to <laughs> and the depths of that. And it was just re- a really interesting set. And I'm glad that I recorded it because I'm going to fucking release it. I'm going to mm-hmm. release it as an EP, you mm-hmm. know? And, and, and if I wasn't in that hypomanic state, I'm not sure if that same performance would have come out. You know, mm-hmm. interesting. So that's how it, it can it's affect. Weird that but that being said, sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. That being said, it can affect creativity positively. But then, what happens if it crosses a threshold into mania? The thoughts are 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 happening so fast, and they're so overwhelming, and they can be so intense that it's too hard to sit down and focus long enough to actually execute an idea. Right. And it can get really scary too. Like mania can be. Inc- they say they're like, oh, mania. I wish I was manic. Everything feels good. You're, you know, you have all this energy. You're correct. Car- Charismatic, exhilarating. There is that aspect of it, but it also is incredibly terrifying. It's a level of pain I would never wish on my fucking worst enemies. What kind of pain? Uh, anxiety. Yeah, oh, I get, yeah, anxiety. But it's that's different from anxiety. It's more like, it's it's more like, um, it's really is that weight of the world on your shoulders. It is feeling like that uh, that you know you're. I guess it's you feel fucking Christ-like. You feel like you are perceiving all of the pain of the world, and it's on you to figure out how to make this world a great place. A lot of empathy. Yeah, crazy empathy, and then also visual and auditory hallucinations, scary imagery in your head, demon imagery. You know, all sorts of shit. Going really? On. Yeah. So you see stuff as well. Yeah, I kind of. It's more. It's more like when you close. It's more. It's more for me. I haven't seen like things right. like popping up with my eyes open, but it's more kind of where your mind is going and kind of eyes closed sort of stuff, you know? What's what's incredible to me is that the human brain has its, its it's amazing, all these different it? levels, uh, levers, rather. So you go for a jog and it releases endorphins. It goes, here's a runner's high. But what's happening in these sorts of things is like there's a child up there, a baby, like a toddler, and he's just mashing the keyboard and different things are being released. But what's crazy is those things are in there. You know what I mean? Like it's amazing. You're talking about your instincts being higher. You're talking about your empathy elevating. And you're, and you're having all this happening without taking a drug. Your brain just does it for some reason. They, they yeah. don't know. Well, there's some, there's some things you have to look out for, like things that could cause it. Like if you're not sleeping well, you know, if you're, you know, if you're stressed out and stuff like that, diet and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for me, it's important to stay healthy so I can 
you know, kind of access a lot of these things, but but be able to handle it or not cross into a threshold where it's too intense for me, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a healthy lifestyle, you know, and if medication is part of the picture, so be it. That's fine. But they don't know the mechanisms that really work on these medications, which is a little dicey. Mm-hmm. Like Lamictal, what I'm on, I'll take it. It's fine. I'll take it for the rest of my life. I don't care. But they don't know the mechanism. They don't know the active ingredient that makes it work. They found out about this medication because they're giving it to people who have seizures, and they saw that it had secondary mood-stabilizing capabilities. It's an mm-hmm. anticonvulsant, and I just fucking take it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's part of the picture because they don't – I mean, think about what we've been talking about. How the fuck is, this, is, a, how the fuck is a doctor or like a pill supposed to – counteract all of this depth of humanity that we're talking about you know uh it's it's just there's so many levels to the brain the subconscious mind the unconscious mind your conscious thoughts the objective world you're dealing with the subjectivity of what you're kind of perceiving from all of your memories and stuff like Mm -hmm. that the dream realm Mm -hmm. it's fucking amazing Mm -hmm. and that's why i think it's amazing enough and life is amazing enough that i don't sweat dying at all Because let's say there's more. Let's say we cosmically connect afterwards. Great. If not, this is delightful as well. And any God worth believing in or talking about shouldn't wouldn't give a fuck if you believe in him or not. He wouldn't have that ego issue. If you're if if, even in that heaven hell dynamic, if you're a decent fucking person, shouldn't that be enough for him? You know, why does he need you to loud him and praise him and fucking follow him on Twitter? You know what I mean? It's fucking (laughs) pathetic. You know, that is one of that was one of my uh, crises of traditional faith was the idea that the it, it does boil down at some level to God having preferences. And that was that was a really weird. And that's a serious sign of weakness. It's a, yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, yeah that's and, that, and then if you get into the other thing, if you say God isn't uh, this man with these human feelings or whatever that we've kind of made him out to be uh, in literature, uh, if he is just this um, energy, let's say, then he also lets shit things happen. Like bad things are also sure, happening. Sure. So then you also have to be like, well, I guess he's not completely in charge. Or he is, and he's good and bad. Yeah, totally. I mean... Totally. No, lot, I agree. A I lot agree. of ancient religions I know I just okay. spun off into a different topic there, but uh, no, it's all I right. thought it was okay. I'm yeah. right here. We're both swimming together. And yeah. We're wearing tasteful bathing suits. It's so interesting to me that the psychology of Carl Gustav Jung isn't more preferent, prefer, isn't more known in our culture. Totally. He's, I don't know any of it. <laughs> I don't, no, 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 I, I'm not trying to sound no, like, well, you don't know. I'm not no, trying to do that please. at all. It's just, I, it's just, it's been so helpful for me. Tell, tell me, tell me know? everything. I'll t- okay, I'll tell you what I understand. Carl about. Young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a J? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah C.G. Young. He was a disciple of Freud, right? Mm-hmm. But his breadth of, of studies and kind of his take on psychology, to me, is so much more interesting than Freud's. It's so much more in-depth. One thing he has to do is he talks about the collective unconscious. He talks about how we all have... Wait, I saw that movie about them. Oh, cool. I didn't and see it, but started... there was that movie. There was I'm that movie. sorry to interrupt. Please, please do. Please he just do. started to get into more psychic stuff. He believed in psychic abilities. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. This, the fact that he was dabbling in was interesting in the occult and psychic stuff like that mm-hmm. has had him been somewhat ubiquitously dismissed that's he exactly a l- right a lot of really other interesting stuff i don't know personally so much about his occult stuff even though that being said a few days before i was manic a couple of weeks ago 
I had this crazy thing where I couldn't fall asleep, but I was I was in my but I was in my dream state and I was so deep in my in my subconscious and I was experiencing lucid dreams, mm-hmm. but for like hours, right? Mm-hmm. And it was super scary and it was dark, but what it felt like and I had enough narrative distance at the same time to realize that I was just perceiving it and it most likely wasn't true, but it, what it felt like was that I was interacting with everybody I'd ever met. In my entire life, and that if I was at thinking, the same time, at the same at the same time, but they were still separate individuals. Mm-hmm. But I was able to have the capacity to do that, and that I was when I was talking to them. What was I doing? Uh, I'm teasing. No, 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 no. It was a joke. Keep this going. is what it was. This is what it was. And when and when I was talking to them, that's hilarious. Peter <laughs> needs to know immediately. Uh, was I dressed <laughs> nicely? <laughs> it was really dark. It was almost like I was just preceding shadows. Okay, you know what I mean, it sounds awesome. Um, I love this. This is right and, up my alley. And. I believed that when I would think about somebody or talk to them that they were talking back to me. I believed that I was feeling like I didn't I didn't believe it, but I was perceiving that telepathy was occurring on a deep, deep, deep psychological level. That's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And then I think that was kind of the beginning of the thing that spun me into a little bit of a hypomanic manic sort of episode, because what it was was I was now integrating that new level of unconscious contents of my brain flooding forth to my consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that's what Carl Gustav Jung talks about. He says, enlightenment doesn't happen by looking at figures of light. It comes by making the darkness conscious. And we have this, and it's called the process of individuation, where you are tapping into this oneness of life, where you're moving forward your collective unconscious thoughts into your consciousness. Hmm. It's this crazy fucking thing. And for me, it totally makes sense for what I've experienced. And mm-hmm. I'm, and, and, I, and, I, and he's a very, it's, it's very hard to understand some of his stuff. I guess I'm trying to explain it as best I can. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not an expert on him by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, you're talking about inner space. You're talking about yeah, the galaxy in, inside of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And you had this. But isn't profound... that interesting? Isn't that at least worth to be fucking considered in college psychology? <laughs> you know what I mean? He's yeah. brushed over completely. So if I'm understanding, it's the idea that you had this profound experience, which just in the telling of it, it was it was very uh, in, very moving. I would say to me, I, I love lucid dreaming and all that sort of stuff, and I've had those bouts. Where, um, you know, I've had uh, hours and hours of dreaming. For me, it's always been very pleasant. I don't, I've never really had a bad one. But you, it, it seemed different. It never, those never felt profound. It always felt recreational to me. I woke up and I was like, that was fun. I had one where Roger Sterling from Mad Men and I took acid and it was very fun. I noticed if you take drugs in your dreams, uh, your brain will like kind of simulate the experience, at least in my, in yeah. my time. And we drove, uh, we, we were on a wagon going through a blue New York City. New York City was all blue. It was awesome. Wow. It was the coolest thing in the world. And in the dream, I'm like, this is the coolest dream I've ever had. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I can't. And no, then, it felt recreational as well. Okay, good. You know what I mean? But yeah, and you're intense. aware that you're sleeping. Yeah. But, so you're seeing a little bit of this, this potential of your brain and this message of your brain. And where, what do we benefit from that? What do we bring over into reality from that? What do you think Jung is saying about – what do we so, – so you saw some of the darkness – and you bring it into the light, and now what do we do with it? It's I guess the I guess what he thinks is that it's part of our evolution. Is that that's evolution? Waking up to that yeah, potential that, of the brain. Yeah, that yeah, waking up to the potential of the brain, becoming more human. You know. Okay. See, yeah, I'm I'm with becoming you. Becoming less but- tribal, more universal, less just you know just just kind of instinctual hunter gatherer survivalist, mm-hmm. realizing that there's something beyond that. You know, I think people. I think people that are, you know, very religious or people that are, you know, even people that are like, 
you know, I guess, I don't know, more politically conservative, there's a very sense of tribalism where it's like an us versus them sort of world where there, and it makes sense that there wasn't, there was a resource war. There's a resource, there was a resource war every place, you know? So it was like, there's not enough for everybody, but it's possible now that there is. And, and I really think that Jesus' message was literally, he was the first guy that said, hey, we can love each other. All of us, we don't have to be this tribalistic us versus them world. I think his message was as simple as that. And there's fucking proof of it. The Gnostic Gospels were found in 1945. I don't know if you know about these. 50 plus Gospels. A Gospel is just a story about Jesus. Yep. The Gnostic Gospels were found by a nomad in Nagamati, Egypt, in a cave in 1945. There are these two books of papyrus. It's over 50 Gospels about Jesus written by other people than, you know, the four Like the guys. Gospel of Thomas. Yeah, like the secret gospel according to Thomas, which yeah. is one of the most interesting ones because it's a hundred straight up quotes from Jesus. That uh, and and basically, this woman Elaine Pagels wrote this very fascinating book called the Gnostic Gospels that explains them and stuff like that. And she talks about how a lot of these books. So Jesus is a guy who traveled the world, is a guy who went to India, who came back with this Eastern wisdom, who was more of a sage, who was just teaching a message of love. And basically, you would you know you would take from what was bubbling from his mouth, and then you would transcend to a Christ-like level, meaning you would just become like him because you understood his philosophy. It had nothing to do with the whole kowtowing and I'm a piece of shit only because of you can I be saved because I'm born into sin that was a total co-opting hmm. of the fucking message to create a power structure that became the Catholic Church because only bishops, deacons, and priests could only become them if they were disciples of Peter, the first fucking apostle and if you look at it from a political point of view of how to maintain a power structure, it just fucking makes sense, but regardless that fucking book is so fascinating. You'd think people who define themselves as Christians would at least want to fucking read it, would be interested in it. But they'll go, no. They don't, first of all, they don't even know about it because it's not particularly known. No, and number two, they'll be like, no, I don't want to know. That's heretical. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you so scared to read something else that might make you think mm. that you won't even expose yourself to it? He's your guy. Don't you want to read other <laughs> books by your fucking guy? Radiohead puts out like a fucking B-side yeah. and people all over the world are like give it to us exactly and this is some kings of limbs stuff it took a while to get into it but it's pretty good that's perfect no peter that's so beautiful that was so beautiful exactly yeah. like kid a and amnesiac were two of my favorite albums yeah. ever and then, still listen to and them, a nomad but, in egypt found king of limbs yo a nomad in egypt straight up found king of limbs and people are like ah. Ah. Oh, the dead sea scrolls came out around the same time we'll talk about that because it doesn't yeah. challenge our beliefs but dude these Gnostic Gospels are dope, man. The it's, Nakamati uh, Library. It's I've only, crazy. I only heard- dude, one of them is by James, who they think was Jesus' brother. One's by Mary Magdalene. Who do you think knew him best? You know what I mean? Well, and they're it- all not probably by those people. Well, yeah, who knows? <laughs> I didn't mean, them- I didn't mean no, to take the enough. wind out no, of yourself. Fair enough. No, I don't care. But, uh, <laughs> but fair enough. But that being said, some of them they think predate. The ones that the four books, because right. hundreds of stories were written about this guy. Right. You know why did these four make it in? Right. And why is that what people only think is everything? Well, that, that's where uh, you, you really get into some pickling right there. It's serious, and, tangible evidence, though. They're fucking books. I know. Well, you look at, you look at the canonization of the Bible, and it's, it's probably the, mo- the trickiest thing in the world is because as I get older, the more of a grown-up I become and not a child anymore, I go like, oh, I'm a grown-up, like the grown-ups who got together and decided what the Bible would be and wouldn't be. Including things like these gospels that would that would be called uh, heretical or not true. I believe that I don't know if it's the Gospel of Thomas, but some of them have Jesus. Uh, I believe it is the Gospel of Thomas actually, where Jesus says 
um, I'm this rock and I'm this tree and I'm everything. Some a pantheistic sort of idea. So they're like, well, we're not making a pantheist religion. God isn't everywhere. God isn't everyone. And people aren't waking up to their own divinity. Rather, there's a God and you need to like sacrifice and, and atone to him. And, that, and that'll be our religion. So decisions were made by men like yeah. me who also took shits. And some of them like turkey <laughs> more than chicken. Some of them like chicken more than turkey. Yeah. Some of them were closeted homosexual. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Some of them, I, who cares? I don't know. I'm See, just. I wish people could hear what you're saying and let go and accept that. You know, well, you, and you evolve, know, and I, I it's think it's really, really important some people, for the sake of humanity. I think. I think that it would help. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. no. I just think I'm right there helpful. with you. You're the one yeah. blowing minds, man. I'm just, I'm just in the crowd. I'm you're, in the crowd. I loved what you said. That was one of my favorite uh, religious things ever. But you know, the guy uh, who I love, I forget his name because I don't really operate that way. Uh, names and dates. Aren't I'm not really, good with that either. I can't. People ask me how long I've been in L.A. and I'm like, e. I just now arrived. I still can't. <laughs> that's, what, that's how it feels. I still can't remember if I moved to New York in 2004 or five. Yeah, if it weren't for like major tragedies, like I, I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be funny or make light. But things like 9/11, I go, oh, I was in Chicago for 9/11. Wow. And that's right when I moved there. I thought you were going to talk about the Boston Comedy Club again. And then the the, the 9/11 of New York for me was the Boston Comedy <laughs> Club because <laughs> I wasn't there for 9/11, but I was there for the worst club of all time. Oh, but can, again, but not can we talk light. about? We did get some. We did get some tools in our bag from working that place. Oh, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade it for the fucking world. You know? Um, I want to. The guy. Okay, I want to. I got NYC right here. I get, we're, we'll talk about that right now. But uh, the guy on the NPR episode called Heretics. Do you remember his name, Katie? It's like Carlton, Carlton Price or something. Just, yeah, type in NPR Heretics and we'll have his name. This man uh, decided uh, he had this Church of Five Thousand, blah blah people. He had TV shows and books, just like a superstar pastor. And one of the fucking funniest, most engaging, because they play some of his sermons, interesting. Like this man, like walking in Memphis, are you a Christian child? Ma'am, I I am tonight sort of shit. shit. Like let me stay in the service, that sort of stuff. This man will give you the ghost, you know what I mean? And And he does, just in snippets. And just listening to him speak. So this man then has a crisis of faith and real and uh, believes that God tells him uh, that there's no hell, that they're that we're not sucking Tibetan monks who fall in a ravine into hell for eternal torment, and we're not sucking children in the Sudan into eternal torment who die from malnutrition when they're twelve because they haven't been baptized. Yeah, because they haven't been, they haven't been saved, and so he has this epiphany. What is it? Is this your uh, It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm just like you don't see his name. Well, I mean, is this the right thing? No. No. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It really. Thank you, though, Katie. Um, it doesn't matter. Look it up. It's on NPR. It's called Heretics. Anyway. Um, so he's talking about how they're not going to go to hell. He says that he, he believes that uh, – I believe it's in First John uh, – that Christ died so that all might be saved sort of thing. There, and there's verses that imply that Christ's uh, sacrifice saved everybody, past, present, and future. Everybody's saved. Um, so he uh, – then there are verses that aren't – in line with that, that it's that are against that, and his argument to those was uh, basically, well, that that's wrong. That shouldn't be in there. That was when they were canonizing, when they were making what the Bible is. Men did it, and it's not inerrant. It's it's yeah. it's open to flaw, and it's wrong, and it, and it can move forward. And if you tell what they would call a Bible believing church something in the Bible isn't true, they're going to go nuts. But here you and I are. And I grew up super religious, and you grew up religious as well. And I actually I, I, didn't. 
I, oh, like my, oh, you my just father's had... Catholic. My mother's Jewish. I had a bar mitzvah and everything like that, but oh. it was like laid back. Uh, where uh, we learned to speak Hebrew, but just phonetically, I had no idea what the words were say, what I was saying. Laid back bar mitzvah is a bar harbor mitzvah. <laughs> bar harbor mitzvah. It's a relaxed place. Uh, but, uh, no, I didn't one. know that. But uh, but then I did get that proselytized situation. In the the doctor bond. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I did. Uh, so, but but here we are com- comfortably talking about. God being yeah, and you messy. know why we're doing that? Because we fucking care about humanity. We want to move things forward. We're able to take a snuff of a step back to talk about it, and we're not doing it from an, an egotistical point of view. We're not doing it from a, oh, we're better than these people. We're doing it because we want to be conversational. That's what comedians do. We want to figure everything out, you right. know? Right, and right, that's right. fucking beautiful. I well, you couldn't be talking to someone who agrees with you more. <laughs> and I, you know, and I believe that there is... Uh, Something to be said about, and not necessarily stand up, but everything a stand up podcast, art, music, absolutely, absolutely, poetry, absolutely, all these things that I think are more read- readily available um, to push forward these ideas. The agents of evolution. I think music and comedy is definitely agents of evolution, without question. I hope so. I sure hope so. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, absolutely. I got into it for boner jokes and making people laugh, <laughs> and it turns out that, like, maybe, you know. I'm going to say hopefully, then that then that's. The and I think, moment. and I say that without feeling self-important. I think that there's room for everything too. I think that it can be, and it can also just be fun stuff too. And I think that's beautiful. Sure, as well. yeah, yeah. You Not know? all of it. Yeah, nobody wants. That's, yeah, it's fine. A sermon. You know? Yeah, but I mean, uh, there comes a there, there is a message underlying even even the silly comedy. There is a message sometimes even underneath that. Well, here's like an, here's an example, real quick, of a joke that I think like just part of it. Like I I have I have a joke where I feel like I'm subtly fighting against homophobia for people. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's basically just a joke where. I talk about how I felt like I was going to be sick on the street, and while I felt like I was going to be sick, I happened to walk by two guys who were making out, and I'm scared if I puked in front of them, I would have become the most homophobic man on earth from their perspective, right? That's very funny. But then I'd have a lot of explaining to do, and then when I do that part, I go, blah, it's not you. I think what you're doing is a beautiful act of love between two people. Blah, it's me. And people are already laughing before that, so they don't have time to have their judgment on it not being a beautiful act of love between two people. Right. I'm subtly pushing that Isn't into that their brain. That's something you know? that I used to hate. Uh, George Carlin had a quote about how... Uh, in the moment of laughter is a vulnerability in the brain. And that's in that once the defenses are down, the walls are down, and suddenly you are just kind of in this more honest state, that's when you can slip in a new idea. That's what he said. And I remember reading that when I was churchy and being like, fuck you, ponytail. Like wow. I didn't I, – I was offended by that. And now here I'm on the complete other side. Oh, yeah. It You're, can be good and it can be bad. That's why – It could be bad. But like I, I just knew that he was anti-church uh, and no, all that totally. sort of stuff. I, and I was like, yeah. don't manipulate me with your comedy. But now I'm here on the other side completely being like – no, that's exactly what you should be doing. In yeah. fact, when I want to think um, new thoughts and uh, the beginning of my thought of thinking on new thoughts uh, was eventually Carlin about religion. I was like, oh, that's really profound. And a lot of people still go back oh, to him he's for that, like, but remember, he loves you sort of thing. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, hot yeah, dog, yeah, yeah. ponies hill. Yeah, he's awesome. Sorry he's for on war too. Still holds. He's so amazing. Yeah. Um, But the thing is, yeah, but that's what pisses me off is when somebody's doing comedy and when they have that, when they have an audience in that vulnerable moment, they're slipping in some mean spirited shit. Yeah. Oh, well, that's where it gets really, really fucked up. And I think I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that is when that's what Birbiglia and I were talking about uh, in person. And then I don't remember if we covered it on the podcast, but the idea that people get so upset uh, about endorsing subtly endorsing bad things the worst of us is because there is a a, a churchy element 
to a stand-up comedian. So if Joe Coy is on stage, um, remember saying, oh, my fly is down, and the guy who pointed out, he calls him a faggot. Uh, people get so upset about that because it's, it is this vulnerable state. It is almost meditative. You have this group, a congregation of people laughing in unison and uniting into this thing called an audience, and there's one person in front being a leader, and if you use that vessel to spread hate and fear and intolerance... I, I think maybe you do have something to be offended it's about. It's the fucking comedy forces of evil, man. You know what I mean? Uh, the comedy forces of good versus the comedy forces of evil. It's always about intentionality. I don't think any topic is off limits, but the intentionality of the joke. Yes. What agenda you're pushing forward. Yes. You, know, you don't necessarily have to push an agenda, but you, what's your, and it, has, it just comes out of your worldview. It comes out of your taken life. It comes out of also your experience as a comedian. It comes out of if you're able to push forward what you, what you want to say. Right. You know? But we do it have an to, opportunity to push forward good things. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you get people laughing, they'll listen to anything you have to say. It's yeah. like the spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Yeah, yeah. Jesus so is probably hilarious. True. Oh, of course. And he could fuck. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus. Ah. I was talking about that on stage and it got really awkward. I'm always trying to talk about, like, does anybody masturbate thinking of Jesus? Does that make him feel lonely that no one ever sexualizes him? <laughs> like he's not a good-looking guy, you know? And it's like, did he not have, like, Jesus' penis must have been perfect. And yeah. He, he must have been good at fucking. Like, he must have a, you know, it makes everybody very uncomfortable. I'd like to think it, was, it wasn't too perfect. You know what I mean? It was yeah. fully God, but also fully man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it kind of took a weird bend in it. Just to be like, hey, I'm just one hey, of you. I'm just one of you. But then. But, but, but I mean, you know, it must have been nice, you know? Yeah, I suppose. Like, okay, you're getting laid by Jesus, you, you know? Well, I mean, people would say that he didn't have sex with anybody. Yeah, but okay, well, that's ridiculous. But <laughs> but just think about it. That's how. ridiculous. <laughs> I agree. I used to, I remember thinking that when I was a kid. Was I was like, okay, God, let's let's break down the story traditionally. God's in heaven. Uh, his his people are lost. And he goes like, well, you know, that's something I haven't done since I created the earth is walk down there. Uh, why don't I uh, send myself, basically? I know. It's confusing to me. This is God. <laughs> He's even, I'm even confusing <laughs> myself. But I'm going to go. But I'm also going to stay up here in heaven. But I'm also going to go. And I'll be down there. And I'll, <laughs> I'll be a man. But I'll, it'll be my son. But it's yeah. also me. Yeah. Uh, and I'll watch my son, me. Yeah. But I'll also talk to back to that's me. perfect. Kind of like a two-way walkie. But like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> but we, we can have disagreements because it's different. He's like, yeah. why have you forsaken me? I'm like, I'm you. But like I'm not him but no, this is down there uh, but I'll have a body and I'll see what it's like to have a body and legs and arms and I'll be a carpenter I've always wanted to woodwork just like you yeah. in high school should have taken woodworking and then uh, that's a weird callback and deep that's like an hour and ten minute beautiful. callback I know I'm pretty proud yeah, of it it's like this God's plan thing I do where I'm like alright you know how there's nothing well I'm gonna create something alright first I'm gonna create the heavens and the earth then I'm gonna create all these different types of life it's only gonna take me seven days to do well technically six days because I'm, I'm gonna rest on the seventh day but I'm omnipotent which means I don't really need to rest but don't worry that's just the first of a whole bunch of shit that's not gonna make sense okay okay here we go and I start going all throughout history it's that's like very this long funny. crazy thing you know what I mean like well, God is a shakes to use car salesman that's you know what funny mean? you know what it's fucking what it, nuts man I still have let church. it go everybody let it go let's just fucking love each other and live and realize our happiness is connected with other people and yes you should be allowed to be rich yes you can have as much as you want but do you really feel comfortable having so much more than other people if so fine but I mean come on what do <laughs> you need i didn't even finish where that riff was going because then he's flesh and bones and then he's like i'm gonna have to get some fucking done <laughs> and that that's the definition of sacrilege I'm, I'm being sacrilegious right now but the idea that christ is he he comes down to earth and he's experiencing everything we experience but then like you know he was sinless they say and lust is a sin 
uh, unless you're married, and he didn't marry, although some people say because they called him rabbi that he was married. Uh, but it, it would be weird if I'm God, I'm going down to heaven as Jesus, uh, to earth as Jesus. You're going to want to see what, it's, what all the fuss is about. Most people are repenting. I'm so sorry I did all that fucking. He's like, what's, uh, what's that about? Yeah. But then like sin itself is part of the human experience. And I guess you could argue that God, God wasn't coming to earth to have the human experience but to transcend it. And that would be in favor of Christ not fucking. Yeah, fair enough. He must have fucked. I mean, come on. I like that you're like, that's a good point, but he probably did. <laughs> no, but isn't it nice? Isn't it nice that we freed ourselves from having to like, like everything you explained there was so like complicated in a way like where it's like, wow, isn't it nice to not be scared to sin, to not feel that sort of like that weird contrived sense of morality, you know? You know what's it's weird fucking is, beautiful. is the word, I never thought this would be true. There's two terms in Christianity that really turn me off. One of them is sin. I really can't stand it. Um, it just bothers me. I love Mumford and Sons. Sure. I, I enjoy their music. Sure. Katie, I knew I'd get a Katie look. <laughs> I do love them. And he sings a lot about good. like my sins and, and every, every time I'm like, relax. And I know he is. That fucking vested Irish. If you like them, you'll like, uh, you'll like Frontier Ruckus, this great band from Michigan. Oh, okay. I'll play some of their stuff. All right. And Chris Bathgate. Okay, one at a time. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> uh, the other one is accountability uh, because people are like, will you keep me accountable? It was just like this weird. Will you uh, check in with me to make sure I'm not jerking it to the Sears catalog? It just it just reminds me of of an uninvolved <laughs> yeah. time in my life where I yeah. was just like my connection to God is directly proportional to how many times I'm thinking about boobies. Yeah, and what could be more in your way than that? Oh, now ridiculous. I say think about some boobies and maybe thank God for them. Hey, there you go. One time I saw there some boobs go. at the airport that put me in a good mood for about a week. Yeah, and one day Pete, you'll be able to just think about some boobies. Well, and I can. I think I'm there. Good. I, I think, think I'm there. Awesome. So, what was it like when you thought you were the Lord? <laughs> that's the best. That's the best non sequitur. Chill thing. Be so official. <laughs> we're having fun, aren't we? Yeah, we're having a lot of fun. Oh, it's fun great. to have fun. It is fun. It's fun. Okay. You gotta allow yourself to have fun, though. So you think you're the so, Lord? Yeah. Why Jesus? Ah, that's the weird part. I don't know. You know what I mean? I think it was because I didn't have a structure to know about any other kind of divine entities at the time. Like maybe if you've been raised with. But I'll tell one. you. I'll tell you. This is what it was. Okay. I had a thing. A little. Then little. You, yep. Then you got to tell the Dublin one. Okay. I had a little manic episode in July in Denver. Which was frustrating because I thought I was done with this stuff, but then I've had these little things lately. But what's what amazing? Is that, what does that look like? What does what does it feel like when it comes on? Uh, How do you know it's happening? Sure, that's what, what's dicey is that you don't. That's the that's the scary part. It's like even if you've been manic before, it's very hard to have the self knowledge when you're manic. Even people you know, love and trust are kind of screaming in your face that you're manic. Part of the problem is you just think you're living your life in a higher level of consciousness and people are trying to just say you're mentally ill so they can compartmentalize it and dismiss you instead of maybe having to evolve and change their lives as well. See, that sounds like a nightmare. It's terrible. But uh, but I've been able to kind of be more aware of it now. And basically the episodes have been so relatively short and I've gotten I've been okay so fast that it's almost like this. It hasn't fucked up anything kind of life wise, career wise and stuff like that. Thank goodness, you know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I was a little bit manic in Denver. So what is, but okay, I how do you know you who says Jesus it thing. to you? Who says? Well, that's what it is. I, I have family members and I have friends 
that you know that will look out for me. That so they are real. Fr- they can they can tell they can tell if something's different in me. You right. know, they can kind of see how I'm acting and be like, oh, John is acting in a more hypomanic kind of manic way. It is a little tricky because I am an outgoing person and stuff like right, that. Right. That's why in 2008, when I was around all my friends in New York and stuff like that, it took a long time for people to realize something was going on because it's just oh, Johnny's just fucking being wild. You know? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not convinced you're not having one right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, was almost, I, was, I laughed at that, but I was going back. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> so, do you remember you're in Denver and you start acting? Uh, this is what it was about the Messiah thing. So, oh, okay, yes, this please. is now what I thought was. Okay, when is this? This was. This was in. This was in. This was in July. Okay. Yeah. So I thought. I thought this is what I had to do. I was like, okay, I am this very important person, but I'm not like a Messiah like Jesus. What I need to do is to convince every different religion and all people that I am their particular Messiah. And then my big reveal will be, there's no such thing as the Messiah. We all need to just live together. So I thought it was like a means to an end. That's what I believed was my mission. It's like a disappointing end to a movie. (laughs) So you know the Messiah, right? (laughs) Yeah, what about him? Love him. Serve him all all the days of my life. Well, his uh, recent sermon, uh, he's not a messiah. He was like, I was just fucking with y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? <laughs> uh, that's, that's uh, okay, go on. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know why he got messianic. I guess it's because I didn't have a structure to realize that a thing that can happen is you can tap into this oneness of life and there's a lot of energy there. And because I was perceiving so much about the world, I felt like, obviously, <laughs> I must be the center of it. I must be this grandiose thing. So I thought I was Jesus, you know, because mm-hmm. I didn't have you any thought sort you of were sense the second of, coming. Uh, Did you plug yeah. yourself that into the story that you were like, oh, this makes sense. He said it'd come back. And here I am. Yeah. But that was. Yeah. But that that sort of that sort of messianic thing has dissipated more. It was super heavy. The first manic episode I had in like uh, in like 2000, it was Still heavy, less heavy in 2003. It was different in 2008. And then these little things that have happened this year that have really... I'm really proud of myself that I've been able to get through this shit that happened this year. And I feel good. I don't feel shitty about myself. I, I They weren't followed by debilitating depressions. I was able to catch things. And they all both happen, happened to happen around holidays and stuff like that. So it was like everything was kind of calmed down anyway, career-wise and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I got through all this stuff. And I'm still able to move forward. And I'm feeling really good creatively. And good things are happening. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. So that's... I feel very very happy and thankful and, and I guess lucky for that but I just want to be healthy because there's a lot of things I want to accomplish and I'm not going to let this manic depression thing I'm not going to let these bouts of mania you know defeat me and let things crumble you know it's, I've got too much I want to try to say it's you know? weird uh, you know what I'm struck with hearing you talk about um, this condition is, is that what sounds so scary about it and what sounds so um, kind of lonely about it is that you're you're your brain you know, there's yourself and there's your brain, I guess, if you want to get kind of like yeah, spiritual yeah, about it. Sure. But like you're getting these orders from your most trusted source. You know, there, how many movies are there where they're like uh, the the whole world is a facade and you need to wake up sort of thing. And you're now you have your brain telling you like, oh, we've woken up. Like I'm, I'm your brain, John. Yeah. I've been with you this whole time. That's the crazy part. And then you, know? you have fucking who's a friend of yours? Uh, Sean, 
I don't know. Oh, Sean Patrick. In Denver, it was like Ben Roy and Adam Caton Holland and stuff like that. Okay, so you have these knucklehead comedian friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Versus your brain, who you've known forever. Exactly. Who knows all your secret thoughts and every and is all and you know has your best interest in mind because you're its casing. Yeah. Going like. No, John, I think you're Jesus. Look, yeah. I know this is crazy, but Jesus probably thought it was crazy, too. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Jesus- no, it's fucked up because it's the time you feel the most alive. It's, the, it's your th- you're feeling and believing things more deeply than anything you've ever fucking felt. It seems more real than anything. Mm-hmm. And then you're told it's due to you being sick. You know, it's due to chemical imbalances in your brain. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is the case, and that's fine. But it's fucked up because you do feel like it's so you. It's You're so alive. It's right. so important to you. And then what's crazy is when you come out of being manic and then that world crumbles before you, that is a pit of the stomach. That is a gut shot. That is a You're gutted. You're gutted. Mm-hmm. Because it's like that whole world crumbles and you're like, oh my God, everything I just believed and felt so deeply and so passionately and was so so crucially important to me for the sake of a more humanistic world I was fucking crazy and mm-hmm. then you get your mind back and then it thrusts you into a just as equally debilitating depression mm-hmm. and I then w- you gotta claw your way fucking back out I wonder, and stand up comedy has saved me every fucking time I love that I wonder if this uh, construction of this like crystal palace of perfection and then the smashing it to bits to the ground and then rebuilding it and smashing it you've been exposed to what feels like enlightenment and then what feels like death so many times that maybe you're in a prime position. I hope that helps you to be in a prime position to actually find the real truth that's in between those. I just feel very comfortable now. You know, I feel, I feel like I've been through so much and because I have such loving people in my life, family and friends, I haven't turned a hardened heart. You know, I'm not upset. I'm not, I'm not like, uh, I'm, I, I've been able, I think, to have gone through such things and not turned into an embittered, angry, you know, defeated person just because of how much positivity and support I've had in my life and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And that really does go to the power of how important it is and how important, you know, the love of family and friends is mm-hmm. because I feel fine, man. I feel like I'm going to continue to do some really interesting things. That's great. I'm excited about it. I let, you were playing with your eye in a way that made it look like you were having a stroke or something. And I was like, <laughs> no, it's, it's really weird true. to have someone be like, and I'm back. I am back. <laughs> and you're like dragging the flesh away from your eye. I'm like, yeah, you're back, zombie. See you on Christmas Eve. <laughs> oh, callback. Nice one, Peter. Let's talk about the Dublin story. I, I would like to tell you something. I saw you at Sound Fix. Oh, Remember yeah. Sound Fix? Yeah. So it's Sound Fix in Brooklyn and... Uh, I and you. This is when you were smoking pot a lot, and you told this story about Dublin. That's the one where you're in the shower. Uh, at yeah, one yeah, point, yeah, and you yeah. end up in prison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the story. Thank you. Uh, I just don't want to spoil it. I'd love you to tell sure. it, but first, I'd like to say, and this is a little weird, but when I saw you tell that story on stage, my honest feeling was like I was like John thinks he's doing well, but what's happening is this entire crowd is hearing. Um, a crazy, I'm sorry for lack of a better no, word. No, it's crazy. I'm fine with the word crazy. Okay, a crazy story told from the perspective of the 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 guy who made it crazy. <laughs> so it was, I remember being grateful to have been there, but also feeling concerned for you. Yeah. Because you told the story, and I was like, anyone else would think the story belongs to everyone else in the story. But here we are having, again, for lack of a better word, the perpetrator tell the story from your perspective and like you um 
would tell and I'll have you tell the story, but I want you to know that. And I'm wondering if you have a different perspective on the story or if you still you know, think it was kind of like a misunderstanding or something. No, I definitely have a different perspective on it. Probably when I was telling it, yeah, when I was telling it then, I must, because yeah, I, don't, I, I don't remember, I remember seeing you there and I don't, I don't remember, I guess now I'm remembering that I did tell the story then, but when I was probably telling it then, from that perspective, there was no narrative distance. There was no being like, hey guys, here's this crazy thing. Right. I was being like, isn't this fucked up how they put me in the hospital for this? Yeah. They put me in yeah, jail yeah, yeah, for yeah. this? You yeah, know? Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Well, tell the story. I'd love for you to sure. tell it now if you don't mind. Okay, sure. Well, basically, I was, okay, in 2008, I basically, you know, s- smoked some weed on my birthday in New Orleans and it started a, a crazy fucking like uh you know eight to nine month manic episode where i ended up being kind of hypomanic first and then by the summer by june or so i was in this manic state and then i'd already booked a plane ticket to go to uh to go to edinburgh to go to uh scotland to do the fringe festival right mm-hmm. but first i was actually flying into dublin i was gonna do shows in dublin because i'd done comedy there before i was gonna do shows in dublin then i was gonna do some stuff in Belfast, then go to Edinburgh, right? And so I ended up flying over there and doing that. My family was like, please, John, you're sick right now. Just don't go. But I wouldn't accept it. So I went. And then uh, when I was in Dublin, uh, things started getting really, really wild. I was really paranoid that uh, this that the CIA was after me and that the uh, that elements, remnants of the SS Nazis who were working with the CIA were trying to kill me. And it was all because I knew about, like, you know, big pharmacy and I knew about the weather controlling capabilities and I knew that, um, you know, and I knew that the uh, the American government collaborated with the, uh, the with the, uh, you know, the SS wing of the Nazis right after World War II because there's a better way to spy on Russia. And I thought if all of the, and I thought and that, that, you know, and that they were responsible for 9-11 and all that stuff. So I was thinking, like, because I, I, no, the American government in collaboration with the SS or something. Mm -hmm. I don't fucking know. Mm -hmm. And because I was knew all this stuff, they were trying to kill me because I was going to kind of bring down the neoconservative power structure, right? Mm. So this is yeah. I love that. That's the beginning of the story. (laughs) That's the beginning of the story. Well, we need context, Peter. No, John, I I honestly (laughs) felt. Really happy to be talking to you in that moment because you were like, I'll tell you that story. I thought the SS, the remnants of the SS uh, and the U.S. government to spy on Russia were in cahoots. And I knew this along with my knowledge of 9-11 being an inside job and big pharmacy and weather control uh, using you know seismic weapons to simulate earthquakes and cause tsunamis in uh, Thailand where we conveniently had all these soldiers positioned in the Sudan where there's all this oil. Anyway, uh, go on. Okay. Okay, that was, you're amazing, Peter. And so, okay, and then, and, but I thought at the same time that the IRA and Bono from U2 were helping me. You know, Be- beautiful day, yeah, beautiful day. So it was basically <laughs> Wait, like Bono was helping you. Yeah, Bono was helping. Yeah, because oh. he knew me and he knew that the, the John F. O'Donnell was in his fucking town. You just gave was, me of going, and he was going to make sure yes. that the fucking CIA and SS weren't going to kill me. You know, not not that one. <laughs> Not that one. You just gave me uh, a flashback the first time I brought you up at the Boston. I go, John O'Donnell? And you go, John F. O'Donnell. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, who's this guy? <laughs> he wants me to say his middle initial. I always use my middle initial. I, I don't know. even know I why. Love it. it's, a, it's a thing. But uh, Go on. Bono yeah. is on your side. Yeah. So Bono and the, and the CIA, and Bono and uh, the IRA were like, okay, 
we got John F. O'Donnell's in town. We know what's going on. Okay. So anyway, I was really paranoid, walk, running around, kind of like walk, run, run walking around Dublin with like my black bag and stuff like that. And I was like really paranoid that somebody was trying to kill me, right? Yeah, the so, walk runner is always on my suspicion <laughs> radar. That guy's in, in between two agreed upon maneuvers of moving. And he's doing, he's in between. I don't like that. What else is he mixing up? <laughs> is it pop music in American history? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is? <laughs> okay. So go on, please. Okay. So, so I'm walk running. And then I remember I'm holding this black bag, and then there's this old guy standing there, and he's holding a similar black bag. And I really thought for a minute we were supposed to do oh, the, the drop. bag switch thing. Wow. But we didn't. Did you drop yours? I did something where I engaged him in a way, and then I, and he was weirded out, and I was pissed that he was weirded out. That's but I can't so remember funny. exactly what happened. Hmm. So then anyway, I'm across the street now from this hotel, from the, the Marion Hotel, which is one of the fanciest hotels in Dublin, really expensive place. And I swear to goodness, I perceive that the guy standing outside the front door, some businessman in a suit, like subtly waved his newspaper towards me, his rolled up newspaper, being like, come on, John, come on, you can come in here. Mm-hmm. This is like safe harbor, you know what I mean? So I walked, so I crossed the street, and then he went inside, right? So then I crossed what the street. What are your plans at this point? Where are you staying? Uh, I w- I'm in Dublin. Did you have a room? Did you have somewhere to go? Or were you just walking around letting the Yeah, universe- I was actually staying with a comedian. I was staying with, uh, actually, I can't remember. I think, actually. You weren't homeless. I wasn't homeless. So no. you weren't just like, oh, good, I'll stay here. You were just kind of like. Oh, I guess I'm staying here instead of where I was staying. Yeah, yeah. Or okay. I'm supposed to go in here mm-hmm. for protection, at mm-hmm. least for the time being. I don't know what's going on. So you I'm know what's, scared and paranoid. What's compelled about what's compelling about the paranoia is that it's infused with so much meaning. That even the guy with the bag isn't just a guy with the bag. That's a lonely thing. He's just some guy. I, I'll never know him. He'll I never. Thought know he was me. a member of the IRA who was trying to protect me. Right. You know what I mean? That's that. These are the sorts of fantasies I do in the airport. And at the same time, the time, I also thought I was being trained at the same time. And then I would slip out of the paranoia and believe like, oh, all of these things are happening, but I'm in Ireland. I'm in a safe place. They're testing me to see if I could be some sort of secret agent, spy, IRA person to help the world. Or something I know like this that. is scary, but it sounds fun. There is an element of fun at a time, but it is really scary, too, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure my fun... It's like a fucking action movie. It's like being yeah. in your own fucking action movie, Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I walk into the hotel. I look to the left, and uh, there's the women at the front desk. And I swear to God, I picture that she just sort of, like, nodded her head at me, like, you're in the right place. Mm-hmm. So then what I did was I sat down at a table in the, in the lobby area, and I was just sitting there, and that guy... Who was who ushered me in? Who was sitting next to me and he was reading his paper. And then there were some other people sitting there, some older, some older people, and they were speaking in maybe Austrian or something. I thought, and I was like, or maybe, and I was like, oh, they are descent. They are kind of like descendants of Nazis who came here to see if I'm the real me or whatever. I have to play it cool, right? So what I did was, in order to show the guy that I was who he thought I was, I had a Confederacy of Dunces by John uh, Kennedy Toole, mm-hmm. or uh, whatever his middle name is. But um, And uh, it's a really great book, right? That book and this story, impossible to make into a movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Good riff. Yeah, nice one. Good riff. Yeah, well <laughs> so that's fucking great. Even though that being said, if like... Dude, true story, and I've said this to him. If you look at that front cover, and then you look at uh, when Sean Patton has a mustache and stuff like that, mm-hmm. he looks so much like Ignatius J. Riley. Is that right? Thing. It's very funny. Very yeah. funny. But anyway, so uh, so anyway, so I basically what I did was I took the book out of my bag and I just like slid it towards him 
You know what I mean? Like the guy in the newspaper is going to see the book and be like, oh, you're yeah. that John F. O'Donnell. So uh-huh. I did that really weird thing, right? He didn't respond. So then what I did was I left my bag there for whatever reason. Then I got up and I went up to the second floor. And now I was really scared and really You left paranoid. your bag. Yeah, I left everything. I was really scared and really paranoid. I really thought that I was going to get – so I went and sat on this couch and I laid down on this couch. And I, I was in like the hallway of the second floor, right? And I was really scared that um, that I was going to come and get black bagged like from Viva Vendetta where people come to get you and they throw the black bag on you and they drag you away. Mm-hmm. But I was convinced that I could not break and let them know that I was John F. O'Donnell. I had to like come up with some sort of character or something. So I started speaking in Spanish and I was going to pretend that I was a teenage boy from Colombia. And I was like, yo no hablo inglés, me llamo Juan Francisco, yo soy de Colombia. Like I was practicing that. And then I also, like I took off my belt for some reason and my shoelaces and all my IDs and everything and my bracelets and stuff. And I put everything underneath the seat cover of this of this couch and i just laid there for a while waiting and expecting to be you know commandeered or something like that right but then this obviously doesn't sound fun no it doesn't it's terrifying and then obviously nothing happens right so then i'm walking and then i remember this i walked to to room and i remember the room number is room 208 and there was a woman there it was a brazilian woman she was like a kid she was like a young early 20s and she was beautiful right and she worked there she was like made there and uh and i remember saying something really weird to her in spanish which obviously she speaks portuguese but spanish portuguese are close languages but i was speaking something in spanish and i said something about pause and lose like peace and light and love or whatever i said something but for whatever reason she perceived it as like oh i locked myself out of my room can you let me in <laughs> Crazy, right? So she- Hi, uh, peace, light, <laughs> uh, love, connectivity, uh, synecrocrispities. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, what room are you in? You lost your oh, key? You lost your Sometimes key. <laughs> if it's by your cell phone, it loses its charge. I'll let you in. Yes. Yes. So, okay. she, so she opens the door. Now I'm in a room by myself, right? And there's stuff in there because people were in there, right? But the way there was stuff, there was it was like very neat. But there were pajamas on the bed, right? And then there were a whole bunch of books just like sitting around. They let you in a room. Yeah, a whole bunch hotel of hotel policy. <laughs> you run into a guy who knows any Spanish. Listen to me, any Spanish. I know you speak Portuguese. If someone says Spanish to you, let them in the nearest room. This is the Meriden. This is the premier hotel in Ireland. Marian, Marian. Oh, Marian. Marian. Still, that's amazing, uh, Peter. Oh, you're so good. Oh, God. Okay, so anyway, so I'm in there. Now I'm in the room, dude. You yes. know? And there's all these books there. And then there was newspapers from different countries and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I get it. The IRA and Bono just want me to chill. I'm supposed to stay in this hotel. Right? They wow. set this up for me to protect me. And now I get to stay at this nice hotel. Right? So what I immediately do is go into the bathroom and just like I'm obsessed at this point with this woman, Helen, this this French woman who I met in 2003, who for whatever reason, when I'm messianic, she takes on this special meaning. And I believe that me and her are supposed to procreate to create the Messiah. I'm the Messiah, but somehow I'm supposed to give birth to like the super Messiah with her or something. I don't know. It's really <laughs> yeah. weird, right? The Coke she, Zero I, Messiah. The Coke Zero Messiah. <laughs> but I, fixa- I fixated on her. For some reason. And it still kind of weirds me out. I haven't even seen her in years. But, you know, there's this weird connection I feel like. I feel like her, she's been the the, uh, the object of the possible archetype in the back of my brain of the soulmate. Like, she's been 
the activation of that, you know, uh, of that instinct has been felt, has been dropped on her. So Very she has this. 12 monkeys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. Fuck. So, so, uh, <laughs> so I'm obsessed with her. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I have to deal Especially with Especially in these states. Especially in these states. Right. Um, so. So anyway, so and there's so much sexual energy. So I immediately went to the bathroom and just wanked off, just jerked off thinking about her like immediately. uh, Right. But it was like this. It was this intense wank. It was like a wank of like biblical proportions. You know what I mean? It was a hooba wank. It was a hooba wank. (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous. I know. But but, uh, (laughs) Kate see money like that one. So. So. So anyway. So. So I'm doing that. And then what I do is then. And then I'm like changing the pajamas and stuff like that. You put on the pajamas. I put on the pajamas that were there. That were just on the bed. Yeah, because I thought they were for me, right? And <laughs> then I was like, "Thank okay, you, Bono. I got to take a nap or something." So, but 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 uh, so then what I did? Then I took a nap for four hours. Yep, good nap. I slept there for four fucking hours. Then I woke. I probably hadn't slept for days, you know. And then I woke up and I was like, "Oh, I got to call my mom." But I had a call from the hotel phone because on the way there, I was so paranoid, and I found out, you know, that um that uh you know. That uh, the Bush administration had been wiretapped, like Veri- through Verizon, had wiretapped whole swaths of American cell phones without telling them. And then both McCain, this was before Obama got elected, both McCain and Obama had voted in the Senate to give retroactive active immunity to both the Bush administration and Verizon for their illegal wiretapping of just citizen cell phones. That is all true, by the way. But I was so paranoid because <laughs> of it that I took my phone and there was this 12 year old Serbian beggar girl in Dublin. She had a cup and I just put my phone in it and just kept going. You know what I mean? Like I had to ditch the phone so i gave away my cell phone with like 500 numbers in it you know what I mean? including yours but uh <laughs> she calls from but, uh, time to time yeah like fucking pat oswald's phone number was in the thing and i'm like there you go we're gone and then i'm just like walking and then um so 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 then i get to okay so that so i had a call on the phone at my at, uh, at the hotel so i call and if my that, mom if that beggar were a comedy nerd she would be so happy <laughs> hello Patton. <laughs> it's crazy right <laughs> but uh so then so then i walked there you know, so then I'm in the, so then I'm calling my mom, right? My mom's like, John, are you okay? Are you taking your medication? What's going on? And then for first I'm like, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing comedy shows are going well because I did perform the night before at the International Bar or whatever, <laughs> you know, and uh, on Wicklow Street there. And so I'm, 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 I'm talking to her and I'm like, yeah, everything's good. Yeah, things are good. I'm staying in a really nice hotel. You know, it's all set up for me. Da, 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 da. And then she's like, are you taking your medication? And then I start going into this thing where I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, the whole thing is like, you know, like big pharmacy. They don't really know the mechanism that makes it work. And I'm kind of going into this kind of like, you know, paranoid thing about stuff like that and then right as I'm doing that the people whose room it is come in they open the door right they open the door but what I'm perceiving is that it's like oh this is all training for me. I'm now on the phone talking about sensitive information because I'm talking about big pharmacy. What's happening is the Irish government is listening to this so they're going to send the people in now in order to see how I play it off you know because they're, um, you know, because I can't be talking about these things on the phone. I have to be more chill about it, right? Mm. So they come in. They go, excuse me, this is our room. And those go, are my pajamas. Yeah, they didn't say and that. did you hooba-wank in those? <laughs> did you hooba-wank in Did someone hooba-wank in this bathroom? Could you at least flush it? You're our guest. Did she let you in with the password, peace, light, love? <laughs> Fuck, I knew we should have picked a better password. <laughs> 
Fuck, so man. you're wearing someone else's PJs. You've hooba wanked <laughs> and like fucking little Bo Peep or uh, Goldilocks. You slept in one of their beds in their PJs. <laughs> and then I call my mom on the phone, and you're on the phone with your mom. <laughs> ah, bill it to the room, baby. <laughs> zero zero one, bitch. And they come in, and you don't even apologize. You're just like, this is what I do. Ooh. This is what I do. Get I it? go hold the hun, mom. I go, excuse me, this is my room. I'm on the phone with my mother. Like, I screamed at them. Whoa. And they were terrified, so they left like they should. Yes. And then, then in my, this is where things get really interesting. Then in my mind, I go, okay, I probably got, you know, five, ten minutes before I get kicked out of here. I got to take a shower. Right. Yes, I so remember I go you into the telling bathroom this part of the story. And I jump in and I take a shower. I'm real in there just real quick. Then I come out. I put on a robe. I put on a shower cap. I put mascara around my eyes because what I'm thinking is now I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go in here. What I have to do is I have to like play like the fool and King Lear. I have to be like the crazy person so they don't realize that I'm this John F. O'Donnell. I have to now you really have to be pull. crazy. I have to be crazy now in order to kind of like get out, get out of this situation. It's like you're being mugged and you throw up on your money. Like, there you like go. Steve that Martin. sort of situation. Steve I like that. So. So I, so I, so basically, I jump out of the bathroom in this robe. They're in there. When I remember you telling the story, you're in the shower and they came in. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Yeah, go ahead. So I come out of the bathroom wearing a bathrobe, the shower cap, the mascara, and right as I, right as I come out of the bathroom, basically they're the, it's like the police, their Garda, the hotel security, everybody are in there, and then they just look at me and I just start dancing show tune wise, like going, "This is my room, this is my room, this is my room, real, this is my room," and everybody just looked at crazy. me, mouth agaped. Like, what the fuck is going on? I figured I was just going to get kicked out, but I ended up getting arrested, spent a week in jail, but then the charges got dismissed. I got let into the care of my friend Liam Code, this musician I met. I hung out with him for a week. Then I went to fucking Belfast after that. Things were really weird. I hung out with two rappers named Junsu and Rezin. Then I made it to Edinburgh, burned a shit ton of bridges. It was weird there and uh, made my way back to New York. But yeah, that's that story. Crazy, right? Yes. Yeah. Very crazy. Yeah. The craziest part is that you, at one point, did an impression of a crazy person. In order to get out of the scenario. Thinking that I thought I was like, like a secret so agent. So get out of here, yeah. you nut. Yeah. And then instead they arrested yeah. you. I, I feel like what, when I heard the story, there was an underage girl that you spooned with at one point. No, see, that that's not true. That's that. There was nothing. I mean, when the three people... No. See, when the three people came in, it was a mother, a father, and a daughter. Somewhere along the line... Like there was like a rumor that I was hanging out with a girl or something like that, yeah. but that was not part of it. Uh, I remember like for some reason, like uh, like Becky Donahue saying something like that or huh. something, but like our friend of ours, but that never happened. There was nothing like that at all. Hmm. So it was weird. See, this is this is what made the the story to me where I go like, oh, this this uh, person is on on a different team. <laughs> To us, you the story when you told it at Soundfix ended. It's the same story, and then you go like, "So who's the joke on? I was looking for a place to stay, and now I'm in a European prison. They got CNN and Heat. You know what I mean? Wow. So the punchline was like, "Who's this? Who's the real jerk? Yeah. I got what I was looking for, and I was like, 
John, you're in prison. <laughs> yeah, you're in prison in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's wild, crazy. man. Did you know I did in prison so no one would fuck with me? I very aggressively sang I Can't Get No Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones, but in like a scary way. I'd be like, I can't get no satisfaction. Everybody's just like, all right, this little motherfucker, I could kick his ass, but do I even want to risk it? Yeah, he's probably going to lick me a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's pretty crazy. You remember, you're reminding me of, of me and Kumail still text each other a phrase that I'll tell at the end. One time I was doing Gut Bucket and you were a friend and we always would uh, you know, make sure you got on it when you were there. And, you, did, and you went up and it was during uh, a bad time for you. Uh, the pot time, and I think you were oh in Oh, my God. Episode. Is that when I brought, like, the uh, the umbrella the re- umbrella on yes. stage? Oh, my God. And I'll never forget it. You did, you did uh, you know, a very, very unintelligible set. set. I was singing, like, Bob Marley in Irish Well, that's accent. how you closed. Oh, and my that's, God. And that's all we remember is you closed, and you sang Redemption Song. <laughs> oh, and Jesus you sang, Christ. like... Kind of like very earnestly with an open umbrella in UCB New York. So it's in the basement it's a of a green grocery and white store. Umbrella too. It's and big yeah, green and white umbrella. yeah, and you're going like, "No need to be excited," <laughs> or what? I don't know the lyrics. And everyone's just watching you. You've already kind of like just demonstrated an, an instability. And then to close, you open an umbrella indoors and kind of prance around the stage, like kind of do a, a, a lazy circle around the stage. And you just sing the song, and then at the end you go, Redemption <laughs> Joke. Oh, my God. You sang Redemption Joke. Oh, my God. So to this day, and it was, I, I mean it this, honestly, we weren't like making fun. We would, we'll just text each other Redemption Joke. Oh, my God. Because I went up on stage and riffed, Kumail was probably co-hosting with me at the time, riffed about how you just sang a song and changed, and I was like, you realized halfway through that it was a comedy show, and you're like, I should probably make it a parody of some sort. <laughs> oh Redemption joke. Oh, my God. And you said joke like it was oh, uh, so a big reveal. I don't think it's embarrassing, really. Uh, I mean, it is traditionally embarrassing. It but. is. But it, what's funny about that is because in my mind, in my mind, I must have been like, oh, this is like jokes yes. are so important. Yes. This is a redemption yes. joke. Redemption. You guys still text that? Uh, we text each other a lot of weird sure, stuff. Sure, but that just like, oh, like that, things you that's, think of. That's stuck in our consciousness. Oh, my God. How come you never brought that up to me? Or Redemption like joke? That? Yeah. Or who else never brought it up to me? I don't know. Oh, that's now so when you see him, funny. you can look at him and go, Redemption, Redemption joke. joke. <laughs> He'll think, These jokes of freedom uh, is all I ever had. Uh, oh, my Redemption God. joke. Ooh. <laughs> I, I honestly it wasn't in the spirit uh, of, of no, bullying it was like that was all and I did it in front of you I made fun yeah, of what yeah. you did in front of you and you laughed your ass off uh, so that of, was a bad set huh <laughs> yeah that, that was towards towards a time when I was like maybe something is changing in John <laughs> yeah yeah. Well, it's so good to see you doing well oh now. things are fucking rad man let's it's well what is, what is you mentioned this soulmate girl what's going on there I don't know man I don't know it's weird. It's like fulfilled for me the need of uh, of that true love thing, and it's made it hard to meet other women. But that being said, I feel like I'm able to let it go. There's some there's some women I really care about right now, and I would like to be in a relationship with somebody if I found that right person. I'm not overtly trying to, but I don't know what the deal is with me and Helen. You know, it's like uh, I don't know. I really thought she was supposed to. We were supposed to get together and give birth to the super messiah. You know, so. It's hard to let go of that. It's hard to... It's like, I have a joke, too, where I'm like, yeah, God, you, you 
said it so humorously. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things ever. You know, I, I thought me and Helen would be together, and I thought we'd have uh, a kid together and birth the super messiah. And it's kind of hard to let go of that, you know? Like, totally. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's like when you transition, you're like, so you thought you were Jesus. Yeah, what was it like when you thought you were the Lord? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I was making love to him in doggy style, and I, I just know. said to myself, You love it doggy style, so you can both look at the Manhattan skyline. Well, you know. Behold the creation. Well, you know, fossil fuels are an inefficient means of energy, you know? If we could harness the power of my rear entry dick, <laughs> there would be world peace. Uh, it's like a pickup line. I say to girls, or I said that Eric Andres makes fun of me before I go to a girl. If you were on television, there'd be no more war. That's so funny. That is the funniest thing. It's so funny. I, I, it transcends laughing. Excuse me, miss. Yeah. If you were on television, there'd be no more war. <laughs> How did you meet mom? Well, I went up to her and I said, if you were on television. I hooked up with that girl. Work. I got a sloppy second with her. With who? The girl that I said that to. You said that to somebody? Yeah. Well, Eric had had sex with her first? No, Eric just heard about the line. Or well, who's your sloppy seconding? What is that? No, mean? sloppy second, not sloppy second, sloppy second, sucking on breasts. Like second base. I've never heard that. You don't know about the bases? I know the bases. Sloppy second, sloppy means... second, sloppy third. No, that's sloppy seconds. But like, there's first base, sloppy second, second base, third base, fourth base. But sloppy second, yes, is is sucking on breast. Sloppy third is oral sex. But like, third base is fingering. Right. Second base is breast. Yeah. I've never heard that. Yeah. I'm 33 years old. I guess that's a regional thing or something. Regional joke. <laughs> <laughs> jokes of regions. Uh, um, you Redemption joke. Sloppy second her. And she touched my erect penis, but she didn't jerk it off to completion. She didn't slop it? No. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't sloppy first it? Sloppy third it. Oh, that would be That'd third. be a blowjob. That'd be beautiful. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be... <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know what's going on with me and Helene. You know, I guess... I think she's... You know, I don't know. She lives in Who France. Is she? She's a French girl. Oh, right. We studied abroad the same year at Trinity College in Dublin. Hmm. And uh, I just remember the first time seeing her, I was kind of already going to... I just remember the first time seeing her, the way that we first looked at each other, we caught each other's eye, and it was this huge cheek-to-cheek smile, and I was just like, oh my God, this is the love of my life. Hmm. That's how it felt. I don't know if that's even a real thing. I don't even know that much about her. I mean, we did become friends and stuff like that. And I and we have two mutual friends still who I was supposed to hang out with. They live in L.A., Siobhan and Sean. I was supposed to hang out with them, but some things came up we couldn't get together, which seems to happen a lot in L.A. Mm-hmm. Plans get made and don't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, we flake a lot. Yeah, it's tough. I, get, I can't handle it. But, uh, but, uh, but anyway, they're still friends with her. I'm still friends. Like, we're still cool. Like, we have a connection. We like each other, but... There would nothing ever happened, you know. I don't even know if she's thought about me for years, you know. But uh, but I want to just let go of it because there's other women I really like, and I want to be able to be able to if if one of them would date me, I'd want to be able to be there for them completely, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's what's up with that. When you smiled across the room, though, uh, you approached each other. Or I don't know. I don't know, dude. It was just this moment. It was just, just a moment. moment. And we were, we were the reason we met. We were in a play together. Where there was this like this play we were in together with a whole bunch of people, like all like freshmen, and like I got to meet all of these Irish people through that and stuff like that. I studied there my junior year, but uh, but I was in this like, but there was a called like the the Frosher's play or something. It was at the Samuel Beckett Theater, or whatever at Trinity, right? But it was open to first years 
and study and, and international students, you know, so, but it was a great way to meet a whole bunch of Irish people because a lot of the Americans that went over, they, they just hung out with other Americans, but I got to meet everybody and I got, I became, became friends with a lot of Irish people and hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was cool, but I don't know, but I just, she's just played this role in my life and like, we don't even know each other. And what's weird is we do, but we don't, but like, and then they were, yeah, but what's weird is, I mean, one night we were out dancing, it was me and her and Sean and Siobhan and uh, and Sean and Siobhan actually got together at Trinity. Then they they broke up a f- couple few years later, but now they're back together mm. after all these years. You know what I mean? Like I introduced them to each other, you know. And um, but uh, I remember we were dancing and just like we were dancing with such energy and vigor, right? And there was so much passion around it that it was like everybody else at the bar was like almost like vulturously wanted to get in on it. Like I remember that passionate dancing with her that was beautiful and amazing for some mm. reason mm-hmm. but uh but we haven't had a ton of interaction you know i haven't seen her since like 2003 even you know what i mean it's like almost fucking 10 <coughs> years it's crazy so but like what's interesting is you'll see every once in a while like i don't even like to think about her very much i don't even like to go and look at her facebook page even you know like but every once in a while and she's not really active on facebook anymore but like I'll go there. You'll see it. You can like you know how on Facebook you can see your interaction of history with somebody. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, like I'll write something like, like if I'm manic, I'll write like you know like I love you more than words. Like I miss you. So this, that, stuff the other. So it's a really weird kind of thing that I have that I. But I think that I've now been able to let go of it. I've realized I've and it's again like the psychology of Carl Gustav Jung has helped me realize that no, the soulmate archetype is one of the archetypes that can get activated in your brain and it can be very very powerful but if you realize that it's it's a, that it's uh you know that's that it's something that it's an archetype that's being activated then you can transcend it and i've allowed myself to do that you know it's like it's probably like when you know when sean was on your podcast talking about that girl that he's was you know kind of like obsessed with in the love of his life and stuff like that and how long it took him <coughs> to kind of get over it you know mm-hmm. and that actually made me think of the thing that i wanted to talk about i was flipping out about synchronicities and seeing coincidences and stuff like that and then it freaked me out because then i was on the subway right and i and i had been listening to that episode of your podcast in spurts you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. and right as i turned it on that right at the th- around the 35 minutes left in your guys' podcast was right when you started talking about the coincidences and it freaked me the fuck out because hmm. it was a coincidence about talking about the coincidences. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that really happened. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I took notes of things that I was going to talk about that we were going to talk about. Go ahead. Stuff like it's the that. end of the show. You know what I mean? Do it. I'll do whatever. My, my, my we call the speed round. My phone's off. So go ahead. Do what you want to do. Your speed round? I don't know. Well, I, you, I got synchrocrispities down here. You did? Brain release, weed paranoia, soul, NYC, dad voicemail. I was going to play a voicemail for my dad. <laughs> Do you want to hear it? Sure. It's so funny. I'd love to. This, I heard this before the show. Oh, a lot of a lot of texts. A lot of texts in the old, during this podcast. Must be my peak time. This is a voicemail from my father, Jay Holmes. And it'll just be a non sequitur for the show. It's very brief. FaceTime. Bye. I got an iPod phone. Oh, That's what my he said. God. I was going to do iPod FaceTime. 
Because I just got an iPod phone. And then he goes, oh, it's such a pity. What a pity. Yeah, what a pity. He's a funny guy. Uh, he's also the kind of guy that uh, does not need an iPhone. <laughs> like he, he drives an oil truck. It's going to be destroyed in, in three days. But uh, also likes having things that people are talking about. It's <laughs> amazing. If you keep talking about it for 10 years, my dad will buy it. Uh, LSD, J- Jesus Christ, uh, Shower Curtain, Den- uh, yeah, Gnostic Gospels. That's it. I've covered everything that I wanted to cover. Nice. Oh, I guess one thing I was just talking about, that was this weird thing happened where, like, you were talking about the whole idea of people connect, you know, you think about somebody or something like that, and then you bump into them and things like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I had this weird thing. When I was in the hospital in Denver, like, when I was, like, in the emergency room, and, they, and I was kind of, like, freaking out, so they had me, like, tied up, I remember having all these thoughts about Parker Posey for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, like, I remember looking at one of the straps and it's saying, like, Posey on it or something. Mm-hmm. And so then I was, like, really fixating that part. That, and I also thought that, like, somehow, like, I don't know, Comedy Central was involved. Like, this was all just, like, a plan or something like that. Like, it was just, like, something weird. <clears throat> but anyway, so then, like, I remember seeing this. I remember thinking so strongly about Parker Posey. Then the next week I'm back in New York and I'm in Tompkins Square Park with my mom and who walks right by us? Parker Posey. And I talked to her for a few minutes. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then we had a mutual friend in like, you know, Garofalo to Janine, you know? So I was like, oh, we were talking about Janine a little bit. (laughs) And it was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. why does this have to happen? Yes, maybe it's a coincidence. Who knows what it is? But why the fuck does that have to happen to further feed into you know my sense of uh, of self importance and of synchronicity and of this world happening? You know? Yeah, it's weird when shit like that happens. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's come up, uh, Joe DeRosa. I think it's actually on his movies episode, which we haven't released. But uh, nice. yet we will. Uh, but uh, the idea that I was on a plane, uh, people know this because I tweeted it. I, I was thinking about Alec Baldwin and then I looked to my right. I was thinking about Alec Baldwin and then five minutes later I looked to my right and he was in my row. And I didn't see him. People, I look, I'll be right behind you in line if you want to say that somehow I saw him in the waiting room or whatever, the waiting area. But uh, I was in a rush and walked on very quickly and was thinking about him because I was playing words with friends. Yeah. And that's why I started thinking about him. And then I look and then he's there. And, and that sort of stuff melts my, my brain. It's weird, right? It is. Okay, the one thing that, I, one thing that, this is that I wanted to say was that to really explain why it can be bad, why it's bad to be manic and how it's like you can't, how, when, when, when the thinking gets off. Like this is something that I, that I, I, was, I was reading, I was, just re- I was just scrolling down Twitter looking at different people's tweets and stuff like that. And I, was, and I saw a situation, scenario where I was like, wow, if I was manic, this would totally flip me out and I'd be like, okay, this is happening. Basically, like this is what it was. So there was a tweet I saw by Wayne Coyne. Wayne Coyne is the lead singer from The Flaming Lips and I really like Wayne Coyne a lot. I think he's a really interesting person. you know. And so he tweeted something about how like uh, he has lasers for hands or something like that or something around about laser hands, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I'm scrolling down, scrolling down, reading other Twitter. Uh, eventually, what do I get? I get to a tweet by Brendan Walsh, right? Uh, who I know a who bit. Who looks like Wayne Coyne. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Excellent, right? And, he, and this is what he tweeted. He tweeted, I have a laser pointer. Right. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, if I was manic, I'd be like, holy shit, 
Wayne Coyne knows who I am. He wants to meet me. Brendan Walsh knows Wayne Coyne. I know Brendan Walsh. They're sending me a secret message that if I can meet up with Brendan Walsh, he has a laser pointer, so he'll like point me towards Wayne Coyne because Wayne Coyne wants to hang out with me from the Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. Like that is the but, kind of like slip of knowledge. That's like the uh, reading too much into coincidence. Yeah, that you know? sounds unpleasant. I think it's really yeah. interesting. That the arc of this podcast started with me kind of being like, "Ooh, Manic sounds amazing and it's great," and then and then it leads to the Dublin story and things like that, where I'm like, "Oh, it sounds." scary it sounds disillusioning it, it, yeah. sounds, it sounds uh unpleasant but i tell you it feels so good to be able to have gotten through these things and still you know feel whole and i feel like without question it has you know you know nourished and fueled my my comedy and my life and my world you know i mm-hmm. get to have this interesting perspective on things and i just humbly try to just work really hard and hopefully uh you know say something interesting and yeah. original yeah know? well I, I think i think you will <laughs> and I think cool. you did today. Cool. This was really fun. Thanks, man. Yeah. Do you want to say keep it synchronistic crispy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, keep it synchronistic crispy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll always know that was you. Okay. That awesome, one was dude. yours. Thanks, man. I love you, dude. Thanks for coming in. I love you too, Peter. Thank you. Bye bye. Now leaving nerdist.com.